0: Life's busy. Take this deck. There's heaps to do on it. Like, um, polishing off this wine. That's tough. Life's pretty good with a Trex deck. Composite decking with no hard maintenance. Trex, the world's number one decking brand.
1: Thank you, New Zealand, for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy.
2: This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
3: Morena, New Zealand, good morning to you. Uh, Tuesday and, of course, it's the 1st of June, so we're nearly halfway through the year already. Incredible. Uh, busy uh, year it's been in sport. Busy show we've got this morning, and we're going to focus uh, a little bit on golf just after uh, 9.05. We've got Greg Thorpe with us. Uh, he is uh, Golf New Zealand's high-performance manager, and we just cannot ignore this guy, Stephen Olker and what's going on in golf in this country uh, because it's one of the sports which is on the incline as opposed to some of those that are on the decline. Uh, why? Why is that? Uh, we'll have uh, nine just after 9.30, your opportunity to win a Chemist Warehouse gift voucher uh, with some uh, topics to talk about today. Golf fans, you might like to talk about Stephen Elker or golf in this country. Um, otherwise, you might like to have an opinion on the four locks. We, we say it's going to be about the engine room against Ireland and coming up, what about the four locks going into the squad coming up? Who would your four locks be? Uh, you can ring us on 0800 uh, and our uh, Mount Rushmore today is also an interesting one. It's the four greatest cricket captains between two countries, England and New Zealand. You might go two from each, four from one country, uh, one and three, you know, whatever you like. But the four greatest cricket captains between New Zealand and England, bearing in mind, of course, the first test starts at Lord's in just a couple of days' time. So uh, that will be our subject on 0800 150811 for the Chemist Warehouse Voucher. Uh, And also just uh, having a good old chinwag, and that is just after 9.30. Craig Morton coming to us just after 10 o'clock. Craig is the New Zealand Sevens Tournament Director. Great news coming through that Hamilton gets it back, Yes, the Tron, in January next year. So we'll talk to Craig about early preparations for that and what that decision means. Sam Ackerman and Sam Hewitt, the Sam Double, uh, is the panel this morning just after uh, 20 past 10. And then Mull. We'll go to Mull just after 11. Uh, Andrew Mulligan, basketball commentator extraordinaire. Uh, because the uh, another round of the sales NBL over the weekend, and now we know the NBA grand finalists this year, who they are going to be. So we'll be talking uh, to Andrew Mulligan about that. Uh, and Mount Rushmore, as I said, uh, the New Zealand or England Test cricket captains coming to you around about quarter to 12 this morning.
4: Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy's sermon.
3: Well, probably one of the best sports books ever written is A Good Walk Spoiled. The Days and Nights on the PGA Tour, written by John Feinstein. Uh, the author travelled the PGA Tour, studying the players at both ends of the spectrum, the champions living the dream, cashing the big cheques, staying in the best hotels, the private planes, down to the strugglers, the guys living on the edge, the cut, the bubble, the Monday qualifiers, the caravan, caravan park brigade, or the sleep in your car alongside your club sort of player. It's a compelling read for not just golf fans, but sports fans in general, actually for people Outside the sporting arena too, because it's a story about not giving up on those dreams not and really going to the edge to achieve them. Sacrificing pretty much the whole lot to get to where you want to be. How right Feinstein was when he said about golf, one week you've discovered the secret of the game, the next week you never want to play it again. Stephen Elker, for the most part of his career, fits into the lower echelon in this book. The bloke's on Struggle Street. The lad from the Tron turned professional in 1995 and competed on various golf tours trying to find that permanent home. Only 22 times in all that career he started on the Premier PGA Tour, finishing once in the top 25, playing at the weekend only 12 times, raking in just over $200,000 in the process, wouldn't even have covered the expenses nowhere near. His career high a 19th place in the 2012 British Open. Elka basically lived life in the Champions League, dreaming of the Premier League, but never getting promoted. Well, he's now in a Premier League, the Champions Tour, and he is the barometer. The likes of Ernie Ells and Bernard Langer have gone from who is Stephen Elker to who the hell is Stephen Elka to that bloody Stephen Elker again. It's priceless stuff. The 50-year-old kid is rolling in success and starting to roll in cash. He's found his happy place after a thousand good works have been spoiled. And with it, he's now an inspiration to us oldies to get back out there tomorrow. Golf is a survivor amongst some sports in decline. Alka is a reason why.
5: Continues for Stephen Archer. Going to win the KitchenAid Senior PGA Championship.
1: And he's just getting started. That's the amazing thing. Just his 19th start at the PGA Tour Champions.
3: Yeah, it is the amazing thing. He is just getting started. He's just turned 50. He's only been playing with these blokes in this league for around about eight months. It's quite a staggering story. And it's a story I'm sure that our first guest this morning will be enthralled with as well and pleased about because he's Greg Thorpe. He's the Golf New Zealand High Performance Manager. Uh, Greg, good morning to you. Uh, just fantastic. It just keeps happening.
6: Yeah, it does. And, and it certainly is fantastic. It's, um, it is quite surreal. But, of course, uh, as you said, he's an overnight success after 30 years. Uh, And I think, uh, you know, great for golf, great to see someone uh, doing what he's doing. It's very inspiring.
3: Greg, you're the Golf New Zealand High Performance Manager. Please tell us what that role means and and what kind of uh, level of golf you're involved in.
6: Well, the role's got really two parts. Um, We run a talent development program at Golf New Zealand. And uh, alongside of that, our national teams travel away. Those teams are predominantly amateur teams, um, of which Stephen was probably last involved in in 1990 uh, uh, during the uh, uh, Eisenhower Trophy. Um, but uh, apart from that, we also have our Olympic campaign. And, um, you know, while, while he's uh, been on the radar for that in the last couple of Olympics, he's, he's probably got um, other things in mind now. They need a senior Olympics for players like him.
3: Greg, I look at Stephen Elker, we've interviewed him two or three times actually as he's had the odd win from time to time and uh, he just keeps it pretty simple. I mean, his thought process seems pretty simple and he's reached a a space in his game where he's just comfy. But, you know, as we've pointed out, it's been a hell of a struggle, a struggle which a lot of blokes would have given up on a long time ago. Yeah, potentially. I mean, I
6: think he's... Found a space in america where he can still make a living at that at that level that perhaps isn't so um obvious in the media i think he still had a very successful career um as you might say a journeyman professional but one of the keys to his success has been uh, his ability to stay but he is um as you can see he's um there's, there's not a lot of extra parts on him he's uh, remained very fit and and, and active and, and he prioritizes that and um his his time when he's preparing and, and playing and I think that's, um, you know, coming to fruition now for him.
3: What is the secret of, apart from that, though? I mean, what do you see in his game, uh, you know, as, as he continues to knock down these pins and, and hit it down the middle?
6: Well, I think the step from the um, the golf that's played on the major tours, the, you know, the predominantly four-round event, and the, the, the courses are getting longer and longer um, each year. Um, you know, I think the last major was played over seven and a half thousand yards. So that step back into um, perhaps the, the senior courses that aren't prepared um, in quite the same way, where they're perhaps closer to six and a half thousand yards. Um, but couple that with, um, you know, he's just taken that step into the into the over fifties golf, and his game was was clearly ready. But he's he's, he's you know, uh, from a performance perspective, he's just not missing a shot. I mean, watching over the weekend. Uh, he was just playing so well, and, and it's just, it seems to have all culminated for him at the right time.
3: Uh, a lot of people say, yeah, it's just, um, it's just the old man's league, etc. A lot of people that don't uh, know Fay with with that. But you know, perhaps it's not as, quite as competitive as it used to be. That may well be true, but uh, I look at uh, some of these guys that, that play in this league, and the, and the reason they continue to play uh, the Champions Tour because they can't leave the game alone. They can't leave the competitive edge alone.
6: Well, it's certainly very competitive. I mean, you look through those names, the champions of the past, and uh, he's done so well to, to even be in that space. You know, he, he took his opportunity, didn't he, to, to get on that tour, and he has run with it. But, um, gee, the names that he's playing alongside, I mean, he read some of those names on the trophy out. Um, quite phenomenal, really. But, uh, yeah, yeah, almost surreal for him, I imagine.
3: 63, uh, shot 63 to win it on the final day and just basically blew them uh, out of the water. So, I mean, it just continues. And that's the other thing that that, uh, I think surprises a lot of people, uh, Greg, at this point. It's not just been a two-week, three-week, one-month period of golden form. It has been coming up eight months now.
6: Yeah, and, and not something you see um, that often with golfers. They, they, they tend to um, you know, make 80% of their money in 20% of the time. Uh, so that's probably the, the, the most interesting thing about his step into the space. Uh, it was one thing to perhaps secure his card because that is so tough now. That Champions Tour is um, you, you know, the, 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 the number of players coming onto that and the calibre of them. It's, it's hard just to get a start, for it, but for him to step into that space and then maintain that form is, um, is quite phenomenal. And look, I'm not even sure he'd be able to put his finger on it other than saying that the ball appears to be going closer to the hole and he he keeps rolling them in too.
3: He does keep putting very, very well in in terms of of that. And of course, uh, as I kind of mentioned in my sermon, these great names that he's playing alongside all of a sudden who didn't know who who he was, all of a sudden see him as uh, more than just a genuine threat. I mean, he's fast becoming the guy they're going after.
6: Yeah, and that's, that'll be very clear to them now. Um, if, if it wasn't already before, uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's on a heck of a streak, but they realise he's more than that. He's a very talented man, and, and um, I can only imagine the belief that's growing in him uh, now that he'll be, uh, he'll be someone to watch for a few years to come now.
3: So Michael Campbell finished 55th. That's a, a little-known uh, fact about that tournament. We're so focused on Elker up the top, but nice to see Michael Campbell back playing uh, some competitive golf.
6: Yeah, it is. Um, We we remember those days when he was very prominent uh, in the media and and his his golf was so excited to watch, so it would be lovely for for him to be inspired by Stephen. Wouldn't that be a a great story?
3: So, uh, sport needs heroes. I mean, it it needs people to aspire to in this country and, uh, of course, we've got Ryan Fox playing exceedingly well. What did you make of of, uh, Ryan's performance over the weekend?
6: It, it was great. It was great to see Foxy contending again. Um, he's he, he's had a you know he's had a great year for for a man who's had such a, a lot of struggle over the last two years with getting in and out of the country with COVID and having to go through his MYQs and what have you. And and you know he's persevered and I, I think he's benefiting from that now. It's given him a little edge. He um, when he gets over there he's really focused on his golf. We all know how competitive he is, so it's it's great to see him there. Bit of a shame that last hole for him, but. Um, I, I suspect he's on a, a bit of a terror form and I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him pick up one uh, in the next few weeks
3: So uh, Greg, let's talk about uh, what uh, specifically the, the people that you're involved with as such at this level is, is, Do you feel golf um, with these guys to, to look up to these guys to aspire to overseas playing so well Lydia, of course, you've got to throw her into that bracket Danny Lee still holding his PGA card are so many others plying their trade in various tours around the world. Are we in good heart at home in that regard?
6: We are. I think the key to the players at that level playing well is it shows the young guys who haven't yet travelled overseas, haven't yet competed at that level that, um, you know, the reality is it's the old two legs, two arms scenario. Um, we're a bit isolated here in New Zealand but if you see other Kiwis doing well on the international stage, it it keeps you going through the winter training, it keeps you uh, inspired to, uh, to kick on and of course their yeah, time will come. We had our amateur team at the Queen's Circuit Cup last week in Singapore. They came second. It had been three years since our women's team had travelled away. So to see them you know, travel for the first time in three years and then um, well, they beat Korea, only narrowly miss beating Japan, two of the um, leading female teams in the, in the, in the world. So, um, yeah, it's, it's just inspiring for them to see, but also for those older players to go, hey, stay fit, keep working, and, and Stephen Elker's path is not a bad one either.
3: And that reflects, too, I, I guess, on the amateur game. I know my golf club around here in uh, Hastings. It, you know, unless you've got your finger on the button, really, it's pretty hard to get it. It's pretty hard to get it to it a, uh, a tee time. Uh, is that reflective around the country?
6: Oh, I, I think yeah, it's a surprise. I, you know, the um, surprise to people that perhaps haven't booked a tee time in a while. But uh, it has been, you know, the last two or three years with COVID, uh, golf is booming. The, the participation numbers are, are through the roof, and. You've just got to be a little bit more organised here now to to secure your tee times, but um, it's great for golf. Great to see that the um, you know the, the the performing players are inspiring those um, out, people out in the trenches to to pick up their clubs on the weekend and give it a go. And,
3: and what about really um, the the really young level of golf? You know, I mean, uh, how do we look at uh, the numbers coming into the game? At uh, you know, I, I look at ten ten year olds, early teens.
6: Yeah, we've got our futures program now, or our futures approach to to junior golf, or, or young people playing golf, and um, I think we're in a good space to be prepared for those young people as they're coming into the game. Um, there's a lot of options now for young people in sport, and of course e-sport as well. So um, we've done a, a very good job at organising ourselves there, supporting districts and clubs with their youth golf programs. Um, so we are seeing a, an uptick in those junior numbers and. I think through COVID, it's it's you know families getting out there, um, grandparents getting out there with the kids, and we're seeing that through our junior numbers and, and those coming through into programs.
3: Greg, on another matter, um, the LIV Tour, the much-talked-about breakaway league in the, a part of the Saudi uh, Arabia set-up there with Greg Norman at the helm or hosting it anyway. Um, it just looks from the outside here, it's just struggling to take on a bit, a bit in terms of its momentum. And, and the key to that, I guess, is, is the, the names, the names to attract people to watch it in the first place. No doubt about the money, um, that's pretty appealing. Uh, how do you see it at this point?
6: Oh, it's interesting time, isn't it? The, the PGA Tour has um, been so strong for so long, um, to, so to have someone come to that space, certainly interesting. I think... Um, you know, in terms of the interest in golf, that's a good sign. People are wanting to invest. Um, the reality is, as you say, it's it's perhaps um, it ha- hasn't been uh, as smooth as they would have hoped. But let's hope it does smooth out, and, and we get some uh, you know golf as the winner. Let's let's hope that it, it, it is positive for golf. But we're going to have to wait and see how it unfolds. Could it split golf? I certainly hope not. It has it has the
3: uh, it has. I mean, golf is uh, golf on the PGA and golf, uh, you know, on the, on the DP World Tour, etc. Those those high profile tours. It's about the names, um, and, and it's also, but it's also about tradition, isn't it? The green jacket. I mean, the, the major championships, those sorts of things, which is is on the conventional side of it, as we look at it. The unconventional side of it, of course, is millions and millions and millions of dollars. How do you? How do you differentiate that? I mean, when a lot of these guys have got enough money to live comfortably for the rest of their lives, but how do they weigh it up?
6: It's a it's, it's an interesting question, not not one that I have um, a lot of insight on. I haven't spoken to any of the players having to make that decision, so I'm, I'm really not sure.
3: Oh, well, okay. Well, uh, we've got uh, plenty of golf coming up, of course, for, for Stephen Elker. We're going into a a really busy month and a half where they play another three majors uh, US senior open, Bridgestone senior players championship and of course the senior open um at Glen Eagles uh, and uh towards the end of July. Uh this this might carry on for a while, uh, Greg, to be fair.
6: Yeah, I think so. It's it's more than just to run a run of form these are you know players that have um uh, you know, they've, they've they've got a lot of belief and, and there's a lot of young players looking up to them now that I think we're going to see um, them growing in, in there with lots of amateur players playing internationally uh, this coming uh, Northern Hemisphere summer. So I think, you know, they'll feel really comfortable over there watching the, the professionals doing well.
3: On the, on the home front, what have we got coming up here uh, leading? In, and, of course, we've got, uh, we're looking forward to uh, finally, after COVID, hopefully, he says, um, with having our own tour, our, our tour events here or our, you know, our own championships.
6: Yeah, it's a big year for us, actually. We've got a, um, a World Amateur Teams Championship uh, slated in France uh, over August, September. And, of course, that's where the Olympics are going to be, where Paris 2024 is. Um, so we're off uh, to, to play the men's and women's um, worlds, the Eisenhower Trophy. And as you may well know, it's a 30 anniversary since we last won it. So um, there might be something in that. That's, that's an exciting opportunity after 30 years to, to head to Paris. Um, and our women's team just coming second last week. They'll, they've you know, mm. got a lot of confidence and, and, and a lot of belief out of that. So I know they'll be looking forward to heading to Paris too.
3: Well, Greg, it's been uh, fantastic catching up with you. Great to hear that golf is in such good heart. Great to, to on the back of uh, the likes of Stephen Alker, of course, Ryan Fox and uh, uh, Lydia Coe and those people applying their trades overseas. Just a wonderful time for golf and uh, it, it's good to know that we're cashing in on it here at home. Thanks for your time this morning. Thank you. Cheers. Greg Thorpe who is who uh, is New Zealand, Golf New Zealand High Performance Manager and they should just be uh, loving the fact that... Um, Golf is getting the headlines more and more as uh, time goes on and for the right reasons as well. It's 9.22 here on SCNZ,
1: Side-by-side brand. Summer or winter, he's the
2: voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ.
3: Well, it's been a bit of a casualty night at the French Tennis Open, to be fair. Uh, Runa has beaten Tsitsipas. Tsitsipas uh, is the uh, number four seed. Uh, He went down in four sets to Rune. This guy is a a real talent coming through. He's got uh, a a very interesting name, uh, but uh, he is uh, something uh, to look forward to and mark your card on him. Rublev got through over Sinner, so that was the seventh seed beating the 11th seed, and uh, straight set Sinner actually retiring halfway through the third set. But the big one of the morning, and this was a smashing, Marin Chilik, the number 20 seed, uh, has just fixed up Daniel Medvedev. In straight sets, 6-2, 6-3, 6-2. Medvedev not even in the hunt this morning. So that is a big result uh, on the men's side of the draw. um, And on the women's side of the draw, uh, the number one seed, Swiatek, uh, safely through, but it took three sets. She lost the first set to Zhang from China, uh, won the next two, 6-love, 6-2. And Pagula, their number 11th seed from the United States, is through in three sets as well. 4-6, 6-2, 6-3. They're the big results in the singles. Of course, New Zealand are no longer in, in the doubles either. Both uh, Aaron Routliffe and Michael Venus losing their respective doubles matches on either side of the draw. So uh, no New Zealand interest left in the French Open at this stage. Uh, text coming through from Murray. Couldn't agree um, with you more, Smithy. Alka is all class. A real testament for resilience and perseverance long may he keep this up it's great to see him get his reward at this stage of his career it is it is a story and golf is not okay we don't talk about golf as much on these uh, on the station as much as we do rugby and particularly rugby league at the moment because of uh, the way things aren't going at the warriors rather than what they are uh, so it continues to be a focus the, the demise and the poor performances we tend to neglect the really good ones and this was this is one there's no doubt about that uh, and on that subject, uh, an opportunity now for you to uh, get on the phone, 0800 150 811, giving away a chemist warehouse voucher to the value of 50 bucks this morning. Uh, and uh, that will be to uh, the caller are judges to be the best uh, over that short 15-minute uh, window that we're a lot for this. Uh, subjects today, uh, four locks, uh, the engine room, is uh, that's the one that's going to be asked the most questions, the engine room. Uh, is going to be uh, the one we look at against Ireland. Just how uh, our Type 5 is uh, shaping up against a pack that's going to be a genuine contender in the World Cup coming up. They'll be a good gauge. So what are you thinking about our locks for that particular group? Who would you think about putting in uh, at this stage? Do we, we show faith in the older guys and say, you play yourselves out of it? Or have they done that already in your thinking? So we'd love to hear that. Um, if you've got a view on Stephen Olker uh, and golf in general, love to hear that as well. Uh, and uh, perhaps yeah, you might be interested in our Mount Rushmore today um, maybe you'd just like to give us your, your best New Zealand cricket captains or best English cricket captains and the reasons why you'd like to do that so 0800 the lines will be open very
6: shortly
7: Talk Back Time with Smithy brought to you by Chemist Warehouse great savings every day Call cool now for a chance to win today's 50 dollar chemist warehouse voucher,
3: 0800-150-811. is 9.33 here on SENZ. Uh, yes, of course, uh, you have your opportunity now, 0800-150-811, um, any subject you like, but specifically uh, I've given you two or three to talk about this morning. John uh, has come in from Christchurch. Good morning to you, John.
8: G'day, Smithy. How are you, pal?
3: Um, look, I'm I'm pretty good actually. I'm, I'm just loving uh, talking about the golf. Actually, to be fair, and and I just I'm just dining out on this uh, Stephen Elka story. I know it's not everyone's cup of tea, but it's certainly mine. Oh mate, look, I'm the
8: same. I'll, I'll make a comment on all three things, but I'm only rung up to uh, talk about the golf because I'm the same. It's just. It's... It's just awesome to be able to get up in the weekend and sit down after you, even if you played your own game of golf, and just sit down and watch the boys performing <laughs> really well. And also, it's really good to see Danny Lee actually putting in a decent performance over the weekend. But um, seeing now, Foxy and Stephen Elk, mate, it's, it's a pleasure to watch. It just reinvigorates the sport. Um, get up and watch it and enjoy it and just embrace them doing so well. Alk like is just sensational. How good is that? You know. And uh, even Foxy, you know, like, it's just a shame yesterday that um, he had, uh, or the day before it was, I guess, and he uh, having that double bogey on the lap, which cost him another victory. But, by oh, crikey, it's, uh, it's awesome to see them all going so well and just the consistency that they're putting in.
4: And, you know,
8: it's, uh, the thing that I'm loving and really enjoying out of it the most is seeing these guys playing in the majors. And um, the more that Foxy gets into the majors, it just puts a whole different perspective and an enjoyment factor as a dealer and a golf lover.
3: Um, to get up and actually watch these guys doing it and performing in it, you know? It's awesome. Oh, look, I, I totally agree, John. You know, I watched... I'll I, I confess to this. I was a bit I was a bit shady yesterday because I watched uh, golf for about... Well, it was nearly like eight hours in a row watching uh, Ryan Fox almost from the first tee right through to the end of Elka's coverage as well uh, and doubling up and trying to do the show at the same time. It was just like... Man, I I don't care. It was just to see a New Zealander at the top of the leaderboard uh, the whole time. Fascinating.
8: Oh, look, it's awesome, eh? And i tell you what, I, I would have done exactly the same, but I've got this bloody problem that work gets in the road, you know? It's, it's a damn shame. <laughs> I would have been doing the same, but, you know, just as, a, as an avid Kiwi um, sports fan, you know, like I would support any sport in New Zealand, no matter what they're doing, we're in the world, and it's just a pleasure to actually watch people, as you say, at the top of the leaderboard and performing at the best that they can. So, um, and, and just excelling on the world stage. So, brilliant to see. But, um, on a couple of the other points there, mate, just one thing I'll make about the rugby in the weekend, like I'm a Crusaders fan through and through, and, uh, but seeing that Moana Pacifica game in the weekend, it's like one of the most enjoyable um, games and best results I've seen in sport for a long, long time. That was just the passion and the, just the, probably the thrill that came out of all those people, and you're seeing old BJ and the likes of those guys and Michael Jones, the thrill and pleasure on their face, it was just unbelievable so no, it, just
3: emphasises, it, it just emphasizes it just emphasizes john you're so right it just emphasizes uh you know the hard work the grind those guys uh you know that you mentioned sir michael jones brian williams uh and and those other people involved with him who probably thought when this was dreamed up that it might ne- never come to fruition in their lifetime it was such a slow moving process all of a sudden they've yes. got it um and and then and they're not they're not missing out on it. Uh, John, thanks so much for your call this morning. Um, we've got to move on. Um, uh, John from Christchurch. There's Zade from Auckland. Zade, good morning to you.
4: Good morning. Um, when you were talking about the New Zealand-England captains, um, how yep. many captains are you allowed from one country for your Russian Rushmore? Like, could you have three from New Zealand and one from England, or is that too many?
3: Absolutely. Absolutely, Z- uh, Zade. You can have three and one. You can have four and none. You can have two and two. You can do. You can mix them up however you like. But I personally okay, have gone give for you two some, from each. Okay, but uh, you give us yours. Okay,
4: Brendan McCullum. Uh, Brendan McCullum right. Kane Williamson, Kane Williamson. Right. Ross, Ta- Ross Taylor, and Taylor and Joe Root.
3: Ross Taylor and Joe Root. Okay, so that's um, there's three in there. Three in there that didn't make mine, I can tell you, right here and now. Uh, Why did you go for um, Brendan McCullum? Uh, uh, Can you tell us that, Zay? I don't
4: know. Big fan of him, I guess. And then Ross Taylor and Cam Williamson have done a good job with New Zealand, obviously.
3: Yeah, uh, Ross Taylor had uh, an abbreviated period as captain. We all uh, know about that. Um, But certainly his uh, last hurrah was not a bad one. Uh, and he was also yeah. still remains to be the last New Zealand captain to beat Australia and Australia as well. So uh, plenty of merit I in be- what you say there, Zade. Um, I've got to ask you, the blues the, blues, the, the blues, the Highlanders this weekend? Blues, Highlanders?
4: Yeah, um, I was watching the Highlanders. They were pretty poor that second half against the Rebels. Um, I think the Rebels wanted a bit more. And the way the Hurricanes played against the Force on Saturday night, they're not beating the Brumbies either in Canberra. If you can't beat the Force then you can't beat the Brumbies. I know I'm a line about them, but the the Brumbies are a different beast in Canberra. The Blues struggled against them a little bit. Crusaders struggled against them. Highlanders and Hurricanes both lost to them over there. Um and I'm looking forward to the state of origin next Wednesday. Um some good new players, uh Jeremiah Nanai and um Cobo. Um I'm looking for the good half pairing of um um Cameron Munster and Daly Cherry-Evans, Caleb Ponga, and I'm loving the. Um, I think that's probably why I've got into Queensland. Why I've been supporting Queensland from this from a while ago was um, now who are the coaches? That's why I got into Queensland was Billy Slater, Ka- uh, Cameron Smith, and Jonathan Thurston, and now they're all the coaches. So all the old boys are yeah, joining all the uh, coaching ranks for um, for Queensland now. And um, last thing, uh, my four locks, I wouldn't actually mind would be uh, Brodie Retellick and Sam Whitelock starting, Tupou Vai, and then if I was going to have a bolster, a fourth lock would be James Tucker.
3: James Tucker from Auckland. Zade, good on you. I thought you might throw uh, at least one Aucklander in there. Well done. And a uh, great supporter of uh, anything going on with the Blues is Zade. Uh John from Auckland, good morning to you.
9: Hey, Smithy. It's always good chewing the fit with you. How's it going this morning?
3: Good yeah. Yeah, I'm. I'm pretty happy, mate. I'm. A bit, I'm a, on a bit of a high, actually. I'm on a. On a uh, I think golf's throwing me on a bit of a high. John, what's on your mind this morning?
9: Um, just quickly before I go to rugby, cricket. Um, mm. This New Zealand Test team that's coming out. Um, you know, it's they. They lost their warm up game, didn't they? With that same
3: team. It, they, they did lose that warm up game. Most of those players were involved in some capacity. They didn't. I didn't really class it as a game, John, because they used 17 players, the New Zealanders, as opposed to your normal 11. So they used bowlers bold, batsmen battered, if you know what I mean. But overall, not okay. a good result. Not a good warm up at all. You yeah, did right.
9: Yeah. And just and just going off that, you know, their last two series against Bangladesh and um, South Africa, they drew at home. I mean, there's starting. It's starting to look like a bit of a decline for the testing. Um, and uh, and I'm a bit afraid, you know, with this new of energy through bears in the English cricket ranks, they actually might win the series.
7: Um,
9: but I'm yeah, hoping that the yeah. momentum and the experience that we have in the New Zealand Test Team can come through but yeah, it's it's, it's just looking like they're on a bit of a slide at the moment. How do you see it, Smithy? Uh,
3: yeah, I do actually, John. I, I, I think we're there for the taking, if you know what I mean, and I think the, the signs of that were there during our home summer to be honest, where we're usually quite an impregnable side to break down. We we certainly weren't. And the loss to Bangladesh, whilst people say it was just a one-off bad week at work, but, um, you know, it, it just filtered through to the series against South Africa. And I just wonder whether we might have just come down the other side of the mountain after winning the uh, the Mace. I, I think you make an excellent point there. So, uh, yeah, yeah exactly. very interesting. And, it, yeah.
9: and and I also pointed out to you last week, Smitty, that the Hurricanes were about to lose. Um, I'm, not, I'm not too sure if you remember, and I said the Blues, mm. the constraint team with a lot of under twenty New Zealand players, were going to beat the Waratahs, and we saw that on the weekend. Only my um, because I, I saw what was going around, and, and and the Blues' energy and the Hurricanes didn't bring any energy as such, and I knew that they were going to slip up because they were already looking a week further. But the Blues, you know, winning is infectious, so is losing. So um, you can see that with the Blues and their mentality and how they're going into the footy games at the moment. Uh, a lot of people are talking about the Highlanders, you know, only winning four games for still making the top eight. It is what it is. But in uh, <clears throat> saying that the Blues shouldn't lose to them if the, if the Highlanders have only won four games. Um, but then again, everyone's talking about Tony Brown pulling a rabbit out of the hat. Uh, I don't think that rabbit's going to live, mate. I think it's already dead and gone.
5: <laughs>
3: um, but yeah. <laughs> uh, I yeah, I think you're probably right actually. Uh John, I I, I don't see them coming I don't see them coming to Eden Park at, at the weekend and having a great deal of success. Thanks very much, John, for your call. Um and Jared from Christchurch, good morning to you, Jared.
10: Good morning, Smithy. How, are you, going? Morning,
3: Smitty. How are you going? Yeah, good. Really good, mate. Really good.
10: Hey Smithy, uh look it's great to be on your show again. And uh, it wasn't that long ago that I rang and had a chat about uh, the, the previous uh, Stephen Elkle win. Mate, uh, unbelievable to watch him yesterday. I watched uh, his final nine holes, and that course was bloody tough, and he, mm. he hit some very precise shots uh, under a bit of pressure. He came from behind, and uh, he's, he's hitting that golf ball as good as anyone, and I'm just so wrapped for uh, Stevie and uh, He's, he's such a cool
3: dude and uh, it's great to see, isn't it look it's it's one of the great sports stories um, I feel for New Zealand uh, in the last six to eight months, to be honest, because it''s, it's you know a lot of our, our champions we celebrate uh, in sport, Jared um, have been at, there for a while and you know some of them have been child prodigies and have just gone on to continue their greatness. This is a bloke. This is a bloke who's had a really hard pathway, um, you know, not knowing where his next uh, success was going to come from, and all of a sudden he's just sit and waiting and waiting and all. It's just come to fruition. It it's quite a it's quite a nice story as opposed to a successful one, you know.
10: Absolutely right. Uh, I said on a text to you yesterday. Uh, it's a great story, let alone a great sports story, Smitty. And uh, isn't it rather ironic? You're talking about a breakaway to a uh, and we've had the PGA with uh, with Justin Thomas the previous week, and now Steve with the the senior PGA uh, alive as well in America with the PGA, and uh, it's not so bad after all, is it?
3: I think it's, uh, it's uh, I'm biased. I love the game. I just absolutely love the game. Always have, but uh, I'm a little bit biased, Jared. But uh, I, I just. I just think it's a, a one one great story. One great story. Uh, Jared, thanks for your time this morning. We've got a couple of other calls uh, sitting waiting as well. We'll take them after a short break.
1: Thank you, New Zealand, for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa.
2: This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
3: It is 9.50 here on SENZ, and Keith from the Manawatu has been very patient. Keith, good morning to you.
5: Yeah, morning, Smithy. How
3: are you? Look, um, I'm going good. Uh, what's on your mind this morning?
5: Oh,
8: I thought I'd talk about your test captains um, for the uh, well New Zealand side and the POMs, if you've got a minute.
3: Yep, absolutely. Hey,
10: uh, yeah, the ones I'm... for, I go over the POMs first would be... Uh,
5: Gower, Atherton,
3: and then Cook. I've got three in that order. Mm. Yep. Gower, um, David Gower. Gower. David David yeah. Gower, fantastic player. Terrific batsman. Yeah. Good good leader, quite a good leader. Atherton, very deep thinker of the game, very bright guy, Michael Atherton. Quite a long reign at the top. And uh, sorry, the third one was? Uh, Cook. Uh, yeah, Alistair Cook, great record. Sir Alistair Cook, so... Uh yeah. Uh three worthy, very worthy candidates. You got a Kiwi in there? Oh, well yeah,
8: I've put um well I've got four Kiwis in, so I was gonna start with Chick House. Yep, totally agree. Yeah, and then of course there's
3: yeah, Martin
8: Crowe, um uh Stephen Fleming and Kane Williamson to of of you know
3: current
5: test station uh status where.
3: Yeah, look, I totally agree with with all those names. Uh, Martin Crowe, of course, quite an innovative captain. Uh, so yeah, um, an interesting one to, to put into the mix as well. Perhaps could have kept the New Zealand a, a little bit longer. Um, agree with all those uh, those particular options, Keith. Thank you very much for being so patient, Jeff, the ref from Cromwell. Jeff, uh, what's on your mind this morning? Good morning, Smelly.
5: That bugger said that all our rabbits are dead. Look- We've we'll got a, about a million bloody rabbits down here to replace that dead one he's talking about. The Hollanders <laughs> are certainly not dead. Uh, I reckon there's going to be a, a big upset uh, there in Eden Park. It's Tony, wow. Tony, I... uh, it's Brownies, Brownies' farewell, mate. So the guys will die for him. So I reckon there'll be a bit of an upset coming on here. So
3: okay yeah Kate, we, i like the i like the thought of that and uh, I, I like the thought of it um uh, but i don't believe in it uh not at this stage anyway jeff unfortunately uh w- what about the golf side of things how about that stephen Elker, eh?
5: yeah yeah no, you know, I'm, I'm a golf nut like you smithy and i've been in that you know i haven't been in that situation myself but uh, I just you know i'm a proud kiwi mate and you know it'll be tear in my eye and I was lucky like you. I managed to watch, you know, Alcaraz, uh, you know, Foxy. and Jesus Perez, that Frenchman. I couldn't believe he was sinking those pots after each playoff hole. Oh, you know, unbelievable. I
3: mean, well, I thought, thought it, well, that. the putty made to the, the putty made to uh, to get into the playoff was unbelievable as well. I mean, I just could not, I could not believe Perez sinking those pots. Jeff, you're absolutely so right. Uh, thank you very much for your call this morning. We'll make a decision on the voucher very shortly. It's 9:53.
1: New Zealand for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in
2: Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SNZ. You
5: got to know
1: when the hold up, when to fold up. multi. Know when to walk away, and know when to run.
7: Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today.
3: Success yesterday, the Celtics beat the Miami Heat, $1.63. The Poles beat the Tactics, halftime, full-time we went for there, a buck 52. The Sounders came back to beat Charlotte in MLS as well at dollar $3.71. Today we're uh, going to focus on tennis. Uh, Kasper Rood to beat uh, Holger Kuhn at $1.46. Kasper Rood, very good clay court player. Leila Fernandez to beat Trevor Sun uh, at $1. forty. That's uh, in the women's side of the French Open draw. And Major League Baseball as well. We're going for the Boston Red Sox to beat the Baltimore Orioles today at $1.55. That is $3.16. That is our return there. Uh, a number of ticks coming in. Keep them coming in on double eight, double three with your Mount Rushmore. England and New Zealand cricket captains. The best performed, best uh, records perhaps. You might have uh, one way or another to think about it. Uh, we'll be back very shortly after the news with Rugby sevens, great news there.
1: Thank you, New Zealand, for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. From behind the stumps
2: to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You've
7: thrown so much at them, and Flula once more. But oh, now she's having fun, and Stacey getting through the gap. Stacey Flula... Player. A long, long time they've had to wait to play a World Series event in front of their friends, their family, their
4: home fans, and they have delivered.
3: Well, that's the sound of the Black Ferns Sevens winning back in 2020. After a two-year layoff due to the pandemic, the Rugby Sevens party is about to return to Hamilton uh, I say about to, uh, it won't be till January, but it feels like it's tomorrow. The timing couldn't be better for New Zealand's All Blacks and Black Fern Sevens, who are really going well in their return to the World Rugby Sevens Series. Uh, it'll also bring a really welcome boost to the Waikato region as the tournament is set to return to FMG Stadium January 21, 22. Joining us uh, to talk about that announcement uh, and plans going forward is the New Zealand Sevens Tournament Director, Craig Morton. Good morning to you, Craig. Thanks for your time.
11: Good morning, Smitty. How are you?
3: Yeah, look, uh, I'm pretty chuffed, and I imagine you are as well. You've got a definite date in mind now. You can plan forward. You've been the director for the last three tournaments, um, uh, but you've had to wait a wee while. What have you, what have you been thinking about in the interim? What, what have you got planned?
11: Well, look, it's, um, we're really excited. And in Hamilton yesterday, when we are at the... Um, media launch, seeing the faces of Tim Mickelson and um, Jazz Holtham and their excitement, because um, it means so much to them, playing at home, and then with the local punters and um, the business people of Hamilton, they're just so excited, and having a room full of people there when we did the launch, it, was, uh, it just made me feel uh, how important it was to Hamilton and the players, which was, which was awesome.
3: Uh, You know, it was such a a great spectacle in Wellington for a long period of time. Then it appeared to be losing its edge a wee bit more. Uh, We haven't had a couple for a couple of years. We've missed it here, although our our Sevens teams, I mean, uh, they're two of the most high-profile sports teams we have, particularly around Olympics time, Commonwealth Games time as well. How do you mean to cash in on that, Craig?
11: Look, um, with our event partner, 37 South, who... Um, have partnered with us for the previous um, three tournaments in hamilton and, and are back on board again we're looking at um, exactly what we do around that uh, that event side uh, particularly the party side the family entertainment zones uh, and the hospitality offerings. so there's a lot of work about the start or has started already some of the around what we do and how we do it and best capitalize and make it a, a, an awesome weekend for everyone
3: this is, uh, what, over a two-day period as opposed to, what, a long weekend? Is that right?
11: Yeah, it's a two-day period. Um, there'll be 79 games in those two days, but the difference is from the previous tournament, we're doing it over two fields, so we can reintroduce the quarterfinals and not make the day so long uh, for the punters, and it's, it's just way more enjoyable. There was um, some talk of going for three days, but it's just it's just too hard on the punters and a, and a massive commitment for everyone else to be involved over that period of time.
3: So for those people that, know, uh, that don't know the Hamilton setup is up we've got FMG Stadium. What's the second ground you use? Is it the, the club rugby ground over the back of the stand or something that you can lock off? No, it's
11: a Willoughby, Willoughby Park ground at the north end of the ground behind the corporate boxes to the end of the ground, down the opposite end to the big screen. So we'll carry on using... Right. Um, the second field behind the stand that you're talking about, Smitty, is as um, Walmart spaces, because having having 28 teams, it's just a, it's just a lot happening out there, and warm-up spaces is critical. Plus, we've we've got to find another space for the family zone, which we'll probably go to Fraser Tech, but working through that now, just to make sure, um, make sure everything works, because the families are a big part of this as well. Uh, in 2020, we had 28% of uh, uh, the uh, crowd were families, so that's a massive part of it for us as well as the family side, uh, as the party side.
3: So, uh, with that in mind, uh, and, and as you say, it's a family thing, and, and kids get bored, and and toddlers get uh, need a lot of looking after, etc. becomes a bit tough. Uh, so, what do you have in mind? What are those little contingencies that you think of in those in those areas? What
11: we're looking at doing, and we and we did it the previous um, three iterations in Hamilton, is we'll have various themed rides and theme, basically a theme park in the family zone for the kids, which is split off from the party zone, which will be R18. So they'll have their own, they'll have their own little area, which has worked really, really well in, in the previous tournaments in Hamilton.
3: OK, let's, uh, let's look at um, the other thing about it, I suppose, um, is promoting heroes. I mean, uh, and we have heroes and heroines, don't we, uh, in the Sevens game. You mentioned, uh, of course, uh, Tim Mickelson. Uh, as being, he's like, like he's been in there since day one of our Sevens program, but uh, w- we've really got a, a seriously good uh, marketable proposition, particularly in the women's side of things. So how do you look to, uh, to use that?
11: Look, and and we all know that the high profile um, that these two teams have in, in New Zealand and across the world, to be fair, and our marketing team will work really hard with, uh, within each of those sides to promote this. And, and I know there's a real excitement, if you saw the, the press release out this morning, to show that Eden Park sold out for the All Back Ireland test match and stadium sold almost sold out. And and even doing that way as well. So there's a real desire to do that, but we'll certainly be utilising the players and the players in the Sevens um, programmes are, are so happy to do anything we can to promote this event. So they'll be out and about as well. Definitely.
3: Let's look at look at uh, participating numbers. Uh, and I say this uh, under the head of uh, bringing uh, things into the the, the Waikato uh, larger community as such. How many teams participating? How many... Uh, spectators aside, what what kind of numbers are involved in the tournament?
12: So we're, so
11: in terms of the tournament, there's, there's 12 women's teams, 16 men's teams, and in total there's the equivalent of two referees' teams. So you're looking at around 510 players, 32 match officials, 150 volunteers, and you're looking around staff working over that weekend, around 1,000 staff working around the, in and around the venue to make to make this all work. So it's it's a real beast and um there's a hell of a lot of work pulling it all together, but um we know that we've got the formula to do this and it's just a matter of tweaking it with the second field playing field and what the family zone looks like now going forward.
3: The days gone of of it being um, you know, a party as such and the regard that it was in Wellington, the dress up party uh, you know and to be fair there 's a lot of uh, a lot of booze involved and a, a lot of frivolity involved Is that kind of theme gone Craig in today 's society
5: it, it has
11: like you can still go to the sevens and it 's proven over the last three years that you can still go and have fun um, you, you can be a rugby purist, you can be a family going along um, or you can be a party goer and and have fun over the back at um, willoughby park and in the bars and restaurants that that, uh, they'll have over there. So it's interesting because I was talking to the inspector of police yesterday at launch and um, over the last three years in total, I think we've had about five evictions. Um, So that's that's been, we can see that it's been kept under control and with liquor licensing legislation, we're very respectful of that as well.
3: So will, will tickets, uh, you have a, a pre-ticket, uh, pre-sale tickets going on any stage or, or packages you've got for the fans wanting to attend?
11: Yeah, so what I, what I can tell you at the moment is um, we will be going on public sale on the 13th of September and we're just working out around priority offers and that sort of thing in the next um, month or so to see what that looks like. But we'll certainly be keeping everyone updated as we go through the process
3: volunteers are always a, a big factor in any big type of event that we host particularly in the sporting area uh, i would imagine uh, you, you rely on those pretty heavily but uh, you get well supported with them
11: um very lucky in hamilton it's um they have a lot of events around that area and they have a really good volunteer um network so attracting the 150 volunteers is challenging, but we but we always get there. So each of the um, teams have to have two team liaison officers to look after them over the period of time because they're in the city ranging from um, around seven days leading into the tournament and then they leave the following day after the finals and head to Sydney for the um, Sydney League.
3: So how does it logistically or um, technically, how does it work with, with Hamilton be con- continuing to be the host at this point? I mean, sometimes you, you like to take these things on the road and try and get, uh, take them a little bit more countrywide. But uh, do the councils have to get involved? Do you have to underwrite things to get events like that these days?
11: Yeah, so we, have a, we enter into an agreement with the council and work through that. But what's happened now is the current cycle... This current four-year cycle with World Rugby, um, this is the last tournament. So we're now Hmm. waiting to hear from World Rugby to see what the process is to secure tournaments going forward and um, what that looks like and what their expectations are. So hopefully we get that information uh, late June, early July.
3: Would they ever have the infrastructure to hold a World Event like this in Fiji? For instance, when you look at what Sevens Rugby has done to Fiji, When you look at uh, just the two games of Super Rugby that have just been to Fiji and you look at the crowds, the enthusiasm, is it ever a viable option, Fiji? Um,
11: Look, I think it could be and and there has been discussions with them while we're going through this series until we're um, hit with COVID around having um, one or two of the leagues over there. But unfortunately, with COVID striking and um, all the countries locking down, it sort of went off the table. But... um, I think, yes, certainly it could, Smithy, at some stage.
3: Right. The other thing that uh, you touched on before, Craig, is uh, the terrific news that has just been released uh, and um, there are press releases available. uh, The sellout uh, for the first test, the All Blacks uh, against Ireland. Now, this is great news, I I think, for not just New Zealand rugby, but uh, the All Blacks. Uh, the Irish in the game, particularly on the back of, we they thought that it might be just a little bit tough to sell out these games.
5: Yeah, it's,
11: it just shows the desire that, that uh, the New Zealand public have of having getting back to live events smithy and um, certainly selling out in the short amount of time it has. Um, it surprised me personally, but um, I know there's some people that work in the marketing team that weren't too surprised, but um, long may it continue, and, and, and having live sport back again is really exciting, and um, in my position, being able to work on something like this is special as well, and all the other people that work on it as well are really excited.
3: Within New Zealand rugby, Craig, how much how much time would be devoted to the fan experience as such?
11: Uh, a significant amount of time, Smithy. We've got... Um, a crew of people in our events team that um, are working on the customer journey and have done a lot of work on the customer journey over the last three years. And I think you'll find some of the things we'll be doing around the test matches this year. And the sevens, um, you'll see a a different look and feel around that customer side. But it's very important, as you'll appreciate being an avid follower of all sport,
3: yeah, well I, I do um, and you know actually having a radio show as well you, you you tend to ask for feedback from time to time Craig as I guess you do guys, in your industry as well and uh, there's a lot of um, a lot of reasons that, that people don't go to big events and and that's that's your, that's your ballpark I mean do you get much feedback uh, do the public come back to you at all on things like cost of things things like um, you know practicality around the stadium access to stadiums things like that Do you have to do exercises on those kinds of things all the time?
11: Absolutely, reviewing that with our our venues and the cities, Um, and and it's a massive part of it. And as I I said before, uh, our events team have um, done a a lot of work around the customer journey over the past two years, and um, they they have delved really deep into getting feedback from punters, um, and it's been very beneficial. You're never going to get it 100% right, but the closer we can get it to 100%, the better for yeah. better for everyone. But it is challenging when you get 48 and a half thousand people into a stadium like Eden Park and mm. um, just trying to get it 100% right. But we're all doing our best.
3: You guys, uh, I would imagine, uh, would be pretty keen to see this Christchurch Stadium up and running, and and with the, with a vast Uh, I want to say, uh, you've got a big drawing area in the Canterbury area, great sports fans down there. I mean, the sooner this gets up and running, the better, I would imagine, for events that you've got planned.
11: Yeah, I think everyone's excited about the the new stadium in Christchurch, and um, it's got a a reasonable capacity as well. So um, it'll be just interesting to see when it's turned on in terms of um, the completion date.
3: Well, maybe one day they might uh, have a Sevens uh, weekend in Christchurch. That would be good, Craig, to think you could take it down to the South Island in a a brand-new stadium. It would be fantastic. In the meantime, though, it's back at Hamilton, 21-22, January next year. Congratulations on securing that. Uh, Look forward to uh, having a chat to you closer to the time. Uh, All the best, and thanks for your time this morning, mate.
11: Thanks, Smithy. Really appreciate it.
3: Cheers. Cheers. Craig Morton there, uh, of course, and his role as the Sevens Tournament Director for New Zealand, Uh, and yes, uh, the uh, Black Fern Sevens and the All Black Sevens will be on show at home uh, in Hamilton at those two stadiums uh, around the FMG area back to back uh, 21-22 January. Get involved in that. Uh, When the tickets come out, get in line very, very quickly. It is 10.19, panel next.
2: He's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
13: Big
3: talk, big opinions, the panel. Well, it's panel time with uh, Sam Hewitt and Sam Ackerman and thank God they know what day of the week it is because this morning I said it was the 1st of June uh, when I started the show and of course it's still the 31st of May. What a goose. Uh, And that is old age setting and it's nothing uh, other than that. So good morning to you, uh, gentlemen. Uh, Sam Ackerman, first question I've got for you is Uh, If Michael Maguire gets axed from the Tigers and I'm looking at headlines on uh, Sky Sport this morning saying that he probably will be, would you like to see him at some stage with the Warriors given that he's also the Kiwis coach, Sam Ackerman or will he still be the Kiwis coach?
14: Uh, he'll still be the Kiwis coach. Uh, the ki- New Zealand rugby league's made it pretty clear that they're not in any hurry to change that. Uh, it's not like West struggling as a new phenomenon. That's been happening for a little while now. So uh, th- they will stick with him. He'll be the Kiwis coach. Changing that is a, would be a, a terrible idea with the World Cup uh, almost on the doorstep as well. So I'm, I'm fine with that. Uh, I don't think they should put him into the ki- into the Warriors uh, role. I'm always of a um, of a of a mind that when you change a coach. You need to do it for a reason. It's not just a you're out of here and then let's see what we've got. It's a, it's a, a crap method that's led a lot of teams into worse situations. Getting rid of uh, Nathan Brown to bring in uh, Mike McGuire. I- I'm wondering if Mike Maguire isn't perhaps at the stage of his career where he is better with a, uh, with a, a test team, an origin team type of scenario than he is with a club uh, and if he is with a club he probably needs one that's got to have better cattle and a better environment than what it is there what, what he's achieved in his career as a coach is outstanding we know he's won a premiership uh, with South did very well for himself in the UK he's taken New Zealand uh, to number one ranked in the world and let's hope he can have some good results uh, at the World Cup but uh, this, I just don't think that putting him into the uh, Warriors environment uh, if you bunt uh, get rid of uh, Brown to bring him in, I I can't see it working out in the favour of uh, of the Warriors. I think you need to have an idea of who you bring in, why, and give them an actual plan. Because They got rid of Stephen Kearney, but they didn't give uh, Todd Payton. If they thought Todd Payton was the answer, he should have had a contract to be the coach of the Warriors, not the caretaker coach that left them in a situation where he was now performing well for, with the Cowboys. And I don't think that anyone's going to sit here and tell me that um, Nathan Brown is a step up, from either of those coaches. I, I personally don't believe that is the case. So uh, I, I, I'd like to think the Warriors will have a, uh, a plan um, if they're getting rid of Nathan Brown and Michael Maguire will bring an awful lot of club baggage.
3: Sam Hewitt, uh, live in studio here at uh, SENZ Sport this morning. Of course, uh, works with staff in the
0: afternoon. Uh, Sam, what's your feeling on the Maguire issue? Um, look, I, um, I sort of agree with uh, with Sam. Two, two great names on the panel this morning, by the way, Smithy. Um, I agree with Sam in the fact that um, I, I wouldn't like to see him at the Warriors. And I'm, depending on how long you want me to go on this for, Smithy, I, I've really been sitting down over the last probably two weeks and just in light of all the Matt Lodge saga and, and Mark Robinson, etc, and trying to work out where the answer lies um, in terms of coaching and in terms of the players that we've got. And one thing I keep coming back to with coaches is you know, in the NRL, when you get to that level, I feel like the skill and the talent across the board is pretty even. You know, when you get to that level, most guys. Yeah, there are exceptions to the rule. You get absolute geniuses like your Cameron Smiths, and you get freaks like uh, you know Pappenhausen and Tommy Turbo, etc. But by and large, across the NRL, most of the talent and skill level, I would say, is at this sort of upper echelon. So then it comes down to coaching, and for me, it's just about getting the best out of the players. Um, because there's guys that have come to the Warriors that were very good before they came here. There's guys that have left the Warriors that have been very good when they've left the Warriors. Um, and I just think the number one asset for a coach is is getting the best out of the players. And whether they're successful at one club doesn't necessarily mean they'll do it at another club. So I've been really trying to work out who's the right coach and what's the right fit. And I don't really have any answers. Um, Smithy, I, personally, I don't think Nathan Brown is the right guy. I, I, I'm in Sam's camp. I don't just want to get rid of him without a plan in place. I, but I don't think he is the right guy at the moment um, to move the Warriors forward. Who the who the answer is, what the person is, I'm still trying to work it out. Cameron George, Sam Hewitt. Cameron George. Um, I... I respect Cam in a number, in a lot of ways, and in the past he's been very transparent and very open with issues. He hasn't been that good with this issue, but I put a lot of that blame on Mark Robinson. I feel like he's been the scapegoat for Mark Robinson, the owner, who hasn't come out, well, he, he's done it sort of through various newspapers, but he, he hasn't fronted the press um, at a media conference. The problem is, I think, if you look back at when Cam George started, and I can't remember exactly the year, was it 2017, potentially, um, You know, in the, in the five or six years that he's been here, I don't think you can call his tenure a success really we've made one finals appearance you know where we played Penrith in the first round and lost back in 2018 but outside of that I don't know if you can look at his tenure as a CEO as a success and in business and anything even if you're a successful CEO Mm. your time there's a time period you know where where your time ends even if you are successful And, and I think that it's you can't have a guy staying in there for years and years and years and years, hoping that at some point it's going to turn around. So, yeah, I'm not totally convinced he's the answer as well moving forward over the next few years. Uh,
3: it's an interesting one, Sam. I, I think of NRL ownership and uh, Sam Ackerman I, I'm talking to here, and I, I I think of Russell Crowe, who's probably uh, for various reasons he can't be anything but high profile, but I, I'm not sure he's uh, in this guy's league either. Mark Robinson, who just seems to want to get involved and has owned up to being part of some of this stuff.
14: I want to first of all say that Mark Robinson um, uh, is prepared to make sure there's a rugby league team in New Zealand, so for that, he's got my uh, my vote. There's a lot of, not a lot of people are putting their hand up for it, uh, and it's not something that's going to make you rich. You know, this, it, this is not... To, if you're going to be in charge, if you're going to own the Warriors, you're going to have a little bit of ego, or you're going to have a, it'll be a little bit of a cowboy because if you're a business-minded uh, accountant, you're not buying the Warriors. It's not it, that's not what's going to happen. You'll you'll put your money someplace else. So uh, you need a cowboy like that to invest to keep this club going. First of all, uh, second of all, on on Cameron George, I think you've got to give a little bit of scope um, for the fact that he he has actually um, done a, an incredible job of keeping this team moving in the way it did during the COVID era because the Warriors were achieving on the field and there's a, a multitude of reasons uh, for that and we shouldn't hide away from it. A CEO is supposed to forge a successful club, but he also did hold a club together and, and, fight and make some very tough calls uh, about baiting the club over there. That became... The template for uh, sporting teams throughout New Zealand who had to play overseas when based away, you talk to any of the uh, the, the teams who have had to go away in extended times, so I'd even take that up to the All Blacks, I'm pretty sure, have been in touch with the Warriors or used the Warriors model uh, as uh, starting to go from. So it was into the fire, and there's some strong leadership showing through that period. I agree with uh, Sam on the last couple of weeks. It's not a good look for anyone. Uh, it's been a debacle, and uh, I don't think anyone there thinks it's been handled well either. So... As far as ownership goes, uh, you're either powerful and in charge or you're um, or you're powerful and crazy. So it's just which way you want to view it. That's Right now, people are thinking that he's powerful and crazy. Uh, if he can get some of the right um, things happening, he'll be powerful and in charge again. He's no, he's no Nick Politis. He's never going to be. But um, I'm thankful there's a bloke putting his hand in his wallet to keep this club going.
3: Yeah, good point. Absolutely. A very good point, in fact. Uh, 10.32 here on SENZ. Back with the two Sams very shortly.
1: Big
3: talk, big opinions, the panel. Yep, it's Sam Ackerman with us this morning, along with Sam Hewitt. Uh, Sam Hewitt, I don't know why Baz McCullum is wasting his time talking to those guys in the morning. He should be with me uh, at nine to twelve, or at least you and uh, Staffy in the afternoon. But the, however, the uh, least, they might get round. At the very least, uh, they might get round to asking him about the cricket at some point. Uh, let's hope so. Um, on that subject, though, uh, of course, we've got live coverage here on SENZ, Ball by Ball, uh, beginning uh, at 9 o'clock Thursday night. So, um, Sam, uh, what do you think? What are you looking forward to in this series? Uh, we've reduced our 20 down to 15, or our 19 down to 15, pretty predictable. as that looks like we might not have Bolt, certainly looks like we won't have Nickel. So, what are you thinking, mate?
0: Uh, well, I mean, the the cliche answer, first and foremost, is I'm looking forward to, you know, us v Baz. Um, that's going to be just a fantastic mm. matchup. And just seeing what Bears you know, how much of a, a change he brings to that team, obviously he hasn't had a lot of time. But, yeah, just just to see how that all develops, is going to be very interesting. Um, look, I, I'm actually quite excited to see Matt Henry. And I know there is some there are some cricketing fans out there who, you know, don't rate Matt Henry. But, I mean, you know, he, he performed well against South Africa, um, here back in New Zealand and I think the last time we were up there last year Smithy it was Matt Henry who got man of the match in that second test um, I think he took six wickets across the game but you know he, he, he sort of delivered and I mean he's, he's not a particularly flashy bowler is he? He's a, he's a line and length type guy um, mm. but you know in, in the conditions that I guess are somewhat similar to ours um, you know I, th- I think he could be quite a threat and a, and a pretty good sort of replacement if you don't have Trent Bolt there um, you know spin as well is that going to play a big factor and they've obviously got Ajaz there um, everyone's been wanting Ajaz to you know get more time in the saddle after taking a ten tenfer um, so you know it's um, yeah I'm, I'm sort of interested to see how I guess tactically we approach those games with our with our bowlers and um, have they bought is it Daryl Mitchell that they're thinking about playing in for um, yep. Willie Nichols and I you know once again I, I'm excited by Daryl Mitchell I think he's a great player um, I think he's got a lot to offer so yeah and, and it's cool Henry Nicholls, sorry, what did I say? Willie Nicholls, oh, that's the media manager. You always get them confused when you're dealing with them every day, Smiley. Um, Henry Nicholls. Um, but, you know, it's cool as well having these, um, having tests in the middle of the year, New Zealand uh, time of year when it's winter, because obviously we haven't seen, you know, test cricket for a, for a couple of months. So it's just going to be interesting to see, you know, where, where we're at um, as, as a test site.
3: Sam Ackerman, I'm going to say, going on a limb here and say we're underdogs. And I don't know why I'm saying that really, apart from the fact that it's England conditions. It's an England team which is uh, going to be new. Sometimes they're dangerous uh, things. How do you see this series, Sam?
14: Well, I certainly see all the pressure on England. Um, while New Zealand have, uh, you know, obviously have a, a title to defend uh, and a mantle that they that uh, hugely proud of, uh, they're a very good side. Everyone's been watching England around the world here. Everyone's watching England. Now, I'm, I'm really happy with uh, Matt Henry coming in because uh, I'm, if Sam's right and there's some cricketing fans that don't rate Matt Henry, they need to have, um, just go back and re watch some of the, the footage from the summer. When he gets an opportunity, and that's the thing, he's hungry. When he gets his opportunities, they're not usually coming in for long periods and, and huge series. He gets to go in and be a, a gun for hire and he achieves. And, and he, I think what he'll do is keep a lot of pressure on an England side that's under pressure. Wait for them to. To make mistakes is test cricket they are feeling something uh, that they haven't felt in a long time there's a sudden new adrenaline that's going to come in through Brendan McCollum it may it may encourage some loose shots because they want to play more positively if we're prepared to, to take advantage of that to capitalise on a team that wants to be more um, positive that isn't quite used to it yet then I think there's some great opportunities um, to come along the way. Uh, the bowling lineup will be able to uh, cash in on it. It's a, it's a good squad. It's a solid squad. We can't ask for much more than what is there, taking out um, the injury absences and, of course, um, Bolt's uh, involvement of the IPL. Um, I'm feeling really mm. comfortable with it, and I I'd, I'd re- I'd hear what you say about the underdog. I think that's just because there's so much emphasis on, on England. Yep, it's their conditions, and they will be feeling the pressure. If they don't win, they will be copying it, and Baz will be copying it.
3: Sam Ackerman, it's been confirmed uh, yesterday. The sevens goes back to Hamilton, twenty first, twenty second of January. Will it work?
14: Yes, yes. I think that we're um, we're starved of of um, events here, and the sevens has always been a staple of um, of our summers. Uh, I obviously I, I haven't been as enthralled with the Hamilton move as uh, where it was in, in Wellington, but. We should also point out Wellington was starting to get stale and just a and uh, just a piss up where the footy didn't matter after a little while. Things were just um, There wasn't that much investment in what's happening on the field. So the change up was good, uh, and I think that the, the the good people of Hamilton and those who uh, make the trip to the to the Waikato will, will make it work. Um, we are proud of our sevens teams. They achieve well, and they put on a spectacle. They're a good team to watch. So I'm I'm for it, um, and I, I hope the rest of the country gets excited too. And so not, that time as well, Smithy, for me is that great little break just before um, we get into uh, the rugby season, but we're still ready for a little bit of something different after uh, a, a full cricket uh, meal banquet, if you like. It's nice to have those other sports mm-hmm. thrown in.
3: Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I'm not quite sure with, with the cricket program what conflicts with January 21, 22 next year. I'd imagine you would hope they'd sort of work in together so they don't uh, overlap there. Sam, you're, a, you're a, a sports man, um you're a bloke who likes a bevy. Uh, you're, I would imagine you like a boys' trip from time to time. Would you be
0: bothered driving <laughs> oh. an, a whole hour down from Auckland, Smithy? Do you, I, I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm uh, I'm a Hamilton man through and through. Um, grew up there until I was 18 years old. Greatest city on earth. So, uh, will I be making the trip down? It, oh, it'll be a, it'll be um, it'll be the highlight of my calendar year. I think, um, even even in January. Um, Look, it'll be fantastic. I'll, I'll go down to the helm for a pizza beforehand before heading across to the stadium. Um, and then who doesn't like a, a, a sort of Sunday when you're a little bit dusty at Hamilton Gardens? I have uh, heard they've opened up the Egypt-themed uh, garden smithy. So uh, what better way to spend your, your Sunday when you're a little bit dusty before you head back to the stadium for round two? I'll tell you what, I'll bet
3: anything I've got, you won't be in the Hamilton Gardens. <laughs> <laughs> I might be there, but not but not by choice. <laughs> you, you might be you might, the only chance you've got of being there first thing in the morning on a Sunday is if you're locked in there overnight for some reason
0: yeah, it's a possibility it's a possibility <laughs> no, but, in, I, but, in all, but in all seriousness really, I actually think it's great because I think too you capture obviously with Auckland only being now an hour and a half away with the, with all the new motorways you know you do capture that yeah. big area mm-hmm. up there and not that people didn't travel from Auckland to Wellington but um, yeah, I, I think you will. You know, it, it'll be hopefully a sellout event um, in the heart of su- in, in the height of summer. You'll get a lot of people coming down from Auckland, people from all around the Waikato region. So yeah, I think it's going to be fantastic.
3: Yeah, I do too. Actually, and, and the, you're right. Uh, the motorway system there uh, between those two cities is now um, as good as those uh, M1 M2 sy- systems in England, which make everything so accessible. It's fantastic. Uh, right, uh, let's get back to um, state of O Both squads. Uh, announced uh, over the last couple of days, Sam Ackerman. Uh, if you look at those squads, Reese Walsh missing out on the Queensland call-up by the bye. Um, who's favourites going into game one for you?
14: Uh, New South Wales, they've got an established coach. They've got established combinations. Uh, I really like the... Given the, uh, the players they have unavailable, um, I really like the team there. And it, any team that can leave out Josh Adokar uh, and Jake Travoyevich out of their side um, on form is in a good state. So I, I don't think it'll be a, a pushover. I think it'll be a, a good series. But Billy Slater is unproven as a coach. Um, but the Queensland coaches, you know, none of them, the, the, the quote-unquote head coach, um, besides that one little, Stint with um, with Wayne Bennett and the uh, during the COVID era, none of them can coach. They're not coaches. They're just men, managers, and men motivators who bring in good coaches to do the heavy lifting for them. And it works for Queensland. It has done for a long time. But this New South Wales side, I think, has got so much going for it. Uh, while the uh, the the Maroons are drawing on the Cowboys. The, uh, the the key, the key roles are being applied for the Blues by uh, the Panthers, and the Panthers are just head and shoulders the team. So I'm I'm happy. Uh, Blues are looking good, uh, and uh, hopefully it means uh, more maroon tears this year.
0: Sam Hewitt, I oh, just completely agree, Smithy. Big New South Wales fan. Although I do think that maroon squad is probably the strongest they've named in a couple of years. And I mean, you know, it was only 18 months ago that we were looking at what was being labelled as the worst. Maroon side ever um, so you know I think they have come a long way but, and I think too what Billy's done has sort of taken on Freddie's mould of picking guys on form you know it's just because you've played Origin before doesn't mean you're the right guy you know if there's guys that are playing better in this current NRL season but I still give the edge to the New South Wales I mean the, the Maroons might pick up one you know in the series but I do think that you know all the all the odds all the all the sort of um, yeah all the positives I think go with New South Wales I'll be picking them
3: Good on you. Thanks, fellas. The two Sams with us this morning, Sam Hewitt, Sam Ackerman, outstanding on the panel. Another one, same time, tomorrow morning, 10.44, SENZ.
1: Thank you, New Zealand, for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is
2: Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well,
3: the one thing you learn about this job is that uh, whenever um, you're just... It's about talking about the Warriors. People come in thick and fast. Uh, And um, I I guess because you love them or you hate them, but you care about them one way or the other. Um, Here's a a bit of a tongue-in-cheek one. It's only sold out, uh, Eden Park. We're talking about Eden Park uh, with the All Blacks playing against Ireland. It's only sold out because people are travelling to Auckland that weekend to watch the Mighty Warriors. That's the only reason it's sold out. Uh, Smithy the Warriors should go all out for Christian Wolfe. That's from Mark. Jamie says Shane Flanagan coach, Brown as assistant coach. So, I mean, there's just so many uh, opinions on the Warriors. that just uh, is a daily, a daily saga, to be honest. Big ups, says Charlie, uh, for Stephen Elker's caddy on the Corn. He's been there with him since 2019 on the Corn Ferry Tour. So stick with him. Uh, his name is Sam Workman. Uh, you need to have a good bag man. And that is uh, seriously true, Charlie. Uh, and here's a bloke who is actually cashing in now on uh, the faith that he's shown in Stephen Alka, because it's uh, been such a, a hard ride up until this point. Uh, captains, um, for uh, a couple of people have come in and uh, given us an opinion on the captains as well. We've been uh, talking about this morning: McCallum, Fleming, uh, Atherton uh, from Chris, uh, Brendan McCallum, Stephen Fleming, Michael Vaughan, and Andrew Strauss. Uh, that's from Ben. We'll have uh, plenty of those coming through uh, this morning and some more feedback, too, on the Stephen Alka story, which is uh, truly uh, a very good one. Coming up to 10.51 here.
2: Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ
7: The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz
3: racing's biggest fan. You see uh, Tuesday's uh, a bit of a quiet day to talk about racing uh, within New Zealand and Australia, by the way. It's just a sort of a holding day, isn't it really? But Louis joins us this morning and uh, Louis, sometimes uh, we have to talk about track conditions and track problems
7: and uh, something happening in New Plymouth, which is
3: not too good or what?
7: Yeah, you're right, Smithy. It a, it's a real holding day today. There's not even a tr- trials going on. So do we jump out around the country uh, and then of obviously just business as usual at all the different training centres. But New Plymouth, you will recall that we had, I actually think you were very, very angry about it um, when we've had a couple of race meets binned off out of New Plymouth during summer because of unseasonal rain on hard tracks or while well, you're not having the facilities mm. and the equipment to be able to irrigate and make sure the track was safe. You were hot under the collar at the time. New Zealand Thoroughbred Racing has put the heat on they put the heat on New Plymouth uh, Thoroughbred Racing and made sure that they wanted this track to be in use because you've got big trainers based out of there and trainers that are training well, Alan Sharrock Robbie Patterson, uh, Janine Miller, just to name a few, you've got jockeys based out of there, so they had been, what they'd done some of these, is made sure that they made all these adjustments to the track, they'd galloped about 70 horses on them, they thought it was up to standard, the trainers and the jockeys all thought the track was okay again but New Zealand Thoroughbred Racing and the Racing Integrity Board have not been happy I think reading between the lines they might have not missed ticked all the boxes and maybe not have done things completely to the satisfaction of the uh, I guess the governing bodies of the sport which has meant that the next couple of meets at New Plymouth they're going to have to meet this one and not this weekend, the next weekend is going down to Waverley at cost for the trainers at cost for the owners again so a bit of um, confusion, probably a, a bit of anger I would suspect down the racing community there whether New Zealand Thoroughbred Racing and, and Racing integrity board are asking for too much I doubt that's the case they just want the safety of the athletes and the horses I think it comes up down to the club Smithy that they knew what they had to do and they have not achieved that target
3: yeah that is that's interesting news actually it's interesting to that extent but I think it's a good sign Louis that uh, those people uh, are taking the time to get involved and uh, they mean business, and, and that's what uh, they've been wanting. Direction from horse, uh, from trainers, owners, etc. Is direction from above. That I call direction. I call that direction. Uh, BP Brendan Popper is uh, with us this morning, as he always is on a Tuesday morning. BP, a little bit of a quiet day. The NBA has uh, reached its grand final stage, but we're, we're a day or two away from game one. So, what's on the agenda today?
6: Yeah, hey Stockley, uh, we've got some Major League Baseball to look forward to and uh, this might uh, take your fancy. It's in about 12 minutes' time, the uh, Red Sox-Baltimore uh, match. Now we've taken a $1,500 bet on the total runs under 10 uh, at $1.87. That's been the popular option, that bet including a number of others. So that starts in about 11 minutes. Just want to jump to the cricket, of course, on Thursday. We've seen mm-hmm. money for Devin Conway uh, for the top run scorer for the Black Caps. Back to the where of course, he scored... To 200 on debut, and we've seen money for England. We've seen a lot of money for England in this market. Uh, currently, England sit at $2.13. The black cap's at $2.80. And the NBA finals, as you said, punters are liking the Golden State Warriors at the point start. Already, we've seen movement uh, in that line of three and a half points. Punters don't think that's enough. They like the Golden State Warriors to win game one.
3: The Splash Brothers are back. The Splash Brothers are back together. Curry and Thompson. Thanks very much to uh, Brent Popperwell there there from the TAB. It is uh, coming up to uh, 11 o'clock here on SENZ. Basketball after the break with the one, the only, Andrew Mulligan.
1: Thank you, New Zealand, for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings
2: with Ian Smith on SENZ with the rebound, throws it up
10: in the air and the Boston Celtics will go to the NBA
1: Finals. They complete a wire-to-wire victory on Miami's home court.
3: That is uh, good news for Boston Celtics fans. They withstood a comeback, a late comeback from uh, Jimmy Butler and the Miami Heat uh, yesterday in uh, the United States, of course, and now will face... Uh, The Golden State Warriors uh, in the grand final of the NBA for the coveted rings. Uh, And uh, at this stage, you would assume that the Golden State Warriors might be slight favourites going into it. But uh, the Celtics have a very, very good squad this year. So to talk about that, plus our own local sales NBL this morning, we have Andrew Mulligan, the one, the only uh, Andrew Mulligan Mulls. Good morning to you, sir. Uh, The Miami Heat close at home. Uh, and the Celtics just holding on.
15: Yeah, it was a real game. Good morning, Smith. It was a real game of momentum runs. And it, it came to the point where I felt as though Miami might just have it in them. And the Jimmy Butler, their, their all-star, who has been playing at a level that has been unbelievable, and he's obviously been carrying injuries because partway through the series against the Boston Celtics, they're wrapped up. He honestly, he looked Cox Like, he looked absolutely exhausted. He played every single minute, um, every single second of Game 7 yesterday. Came a point where with about 20 seconds to go, 15 seconds to go, he had the ball. He had Al Horford, the center of the Celtics, on his heels. No help defense coming in to Al Horford's protection at all. And Jimmy, he was so gassed, he just pulled up for a three. And there's been much debate as to whether or not that was the right decision. But only Jimmy Butler will know how exhausted he felt. And that was probably... Uh, the series, and Dusted right there, that three would have put them up one and felt its ball. Cool. Who knows what would have happened? And the ensuing play after that. But it got to the point where that series, for a series that was just full of blowout wins, massive, massive runs within games, like, I'm talking like 30 to 40 point swings in games uh, during that series. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a double blowout series. For it to come down to that last shot... Uh, It's testament to how cool Game 7s are in sport. And the NBA always seems to deliver, I know your producer Logan will always uh, say the NHL's got some pretty cool Game 7s as well. But Game 7s are are something to behold in in the professional leagues in America, like that in Major League Baseball as well, and the NHL.
3: Well, speaking of Game 7s, it was the second Game 7 win for Boston Celtics in the playoffs this far. What has been the factor that's got them over the line?
15: Uh, undoubtedly, it's been their defense. Uh, they have been uh, superb in the new year. Around about January 23rd, there's a stat that's just been bandied around since then. That was their make-or-break point of the season. They were languishing on the cusp of the playoffs, I think they're on the eighth spot, trying to um, avoid dropping out of the playoffs play-in tournament altogether. Um, they just sort of had a moment as a squad, as a team, where I think they, they lost to the Wizards. They were blown out by the Washington Wizards, um, who were pretty average, to be honest, this season. And they lost to, uh, they lost to a buzzer beater against the New York Knicks in New York. And from that point on, uh, it just clicked. I think they won 26 of their last 32 regular season games. Uh, they did not care where they sat in the Eastern Conference when it came down to seedings. They beat not only the Heat, but they beat the Nets and then they beat the Bucks. Um, Those those three teams, the the three teams that have eliminated them from the Eastern Conference the last three years as well, they were basically on a revenge tour of the Eastern Conference. That's how it was painted on social media over the last 24 hours since this series wrapped up. And uh, they've got some match fitness. They've got some match form heading into the Golden State Warriors NBA Finals matchup, which will be in the let's say the least.
5: I look
3: look forward to this. I look forward to the individual match-ups in it. Um, Golden State, I think, probably will be because I've sort of had a bit of a breather here. Uh, they might be a slightly fresher going into game one of the series, uh, mull. Uh, but one of the influences coming back into their side that I think has been a little bit underestimated is Clay Thompson back uh, towards his peak. And the Clay Thompson three-point play is adding so much to the Warriors, I think, this time around.
15: Yeah, Clay Thompson, he has been um, a success story for the Warriors. They have been hanging on waiting for his return. Um, Last two years have been uh, terrible for Clay Thompson. Personally, just with those injuries he suffered, back-to-back injuries, setbacks as well. Uh, They've managed to get him back out on the floor. It's definitely not the Clay Thompson of old. You know, he's on the wrong side of 30. He's missed two full years of NBA basketball. He's finding his shot. Um, His defense isn't as elite as it once was, and it may never be, Smithy. He may have to forego the defensive intensity if he still wants to be an elite scorer, an elite shooter alongside Steph Curry. But he has been a um, secret weapon. Uh, probably more so uh, Andrew Wiggins, the Canadian, mm-hmm. who they attained in a, dry, in, a, in a trade a couple of seasons ago for D'Angelo Russell. And they have turned him into um, an elite defender as well. He has been shooting the lights out. He's been um, incredible in the conference finals. And he is going to be... Um, a real handful for Boston um, just having the matchup because it just gives them a little bit of length. They obviously don't have Kevin Durant like they did uh, when he left after 2019 NBA Finals, losing those ones to the Raptors. But they've got a little bit of length, and a little bit of size in and Andrew Wiggins. And if they can get Andre Godala back as well, Smitty, uh, a true veteran, maybe mm-hmm. managing his injury, and he can if he can come back, that just adds a little bit of defensive punch. Six foot seven, really savvy, really smart defender. He comes off the bench and maybe Gary Payton the second, his injured wrist might be ready, Um, then they've just got a little bit more steel off their bench defensively, and that could cause the Celtics problem.
3: Do you think this is about the the Golden State Warriors three-pointers against the the Celtics getting closer into the paint uh, this series, or not?
15: Yeah, I do. You know what it's going to be, it's always like this with every series, it's about adjustments. And the way that the Miami Heat guarded the Celtics, especially in that fourth quarter, it was just let someone else beat us, but it's not going to be Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown. Every time those two guys touched the ball, there was at least two defenders in the area. There was the first defender and then there was this help shading ever so closer. As soon as they touched the ball, no matter where they were on the floor, and they let Marcus Smart, um, their point guard, who is the defensive player of the year, but offensively, he's just um, a little crazy. He overstates his um, (laughs) offensive capabilities, probably like most NBA players, to be honest. But that that was the ploy. And that is the ploy to beat the Celtics because they've got two great wing scorers in Brown and Tatum. And the Mm. the, uh, Golden State Warriors are just a, a savvy defensive club. They really, they're elite defensively. Even Steph Curry's a really good defender. He's not elite, but he's still a very smart basketball player. Draymond Green is an amazing defender. And I just I can't wait to see what they throw at each other. How are these two are going to go hammer and tongs. I think it's going to go seven. I really do hope it goes seven because the NBA finals mm. truly deserve these two clubs um, to to slug it out on the offensive end and the defensive end.
3: Right. Uh, can we come a little bit more local uh, now, Mal, um Talk about the Sal's NBL, which of course you are heavily involved uh, commentating on uh, and looking at as well. Uh, the Auckland Tuatara uh, sit top of the ladder with a 5-1 record and Nuggets and the Bayhawks are uh, right behind them on 5-1s uh, but uh, have played more games. So h- how are we looking at uh, in terms of the Tuatara?
15: Tuatara look, uh, looked really, really below par on, uh, on Saturday night against the Franklin Bulls, mainly because the Bulls were excellent. They really took it to them. It was a battle of the 09. It's a rivalry in this level of basketball in New Zealand. We haven't seen in a long time um, that, you know, two clubs relatively close together geographically have gone at each other. Um, And Franklin, unfortunately, just didn't have enough firepower. Remember, was it Chris Johnson, who is supremely gifted at this level? I mean, he's in his mid to late 30s, but he is unbelievable to watch. He's so fun. But he was um, under the weather into the game. He wasn't himself. He only made one shot. He averages like 20 points and over 10 rebounds a game. Probably closer to 14 rebounds to be honest. Uh, and that really closed the margin. Um, I'm sure that Chris Johnson will be a lot healthier for round six and I, I feel as though it's the Tuatara season because they've added Dan Fortu, um, a promising young Kiwi player who's come out of St. Mary's College in NCAA Division One. He has put on some muscle. He's added to his frame. He's Isaac Fortu's Younger brother, um, and he's also got a sister who plays for the Tall Ferns as well. It's a great basketball family. He looks like he's about to find his legs in the NBL. They really are going to need the bench to step up if they want to win this championship. But it's more about Smitty. Like We can talk about the Hawks and the Tuatara. But it's almost, who are the four teams who are going to miss out? Because six make the playoffs this year, not the four. Straight semi-finals, it's six out of the ten four teams are going to have to miss out and the Saints only just got their first win against the Jets on the weekend so they're like one and four which is amazing for a, a club that has s- sustained success in the NBL for 41 years
3: You talked about said, uh, the NFL, Saints NFL, yep, they up, up, yep, they picked up the first uh, uh, win against uh, the winless two Jets at the weekend 97-88 um, Are you hearing anything about uh, Xavier Cooks the Sydney Kingstar, joining the Saints?
15: Certainly, he is supposed to be winging his way over, uh, I heard, this week. I'm not sure if he's touched down in Wellington or not. But then again, we'll find out if the NBA is going to become uh, a a stop for him before he even gets to play for the Saints. He may only play a handful of games, if at all, because as soon as the NBA Finals finish in a couple of weeks, they're into Vegas summer camp, um, summer league, training camps. He's a, a gifted player. Uh, and the Saints may have to um, swallow a bit of pill that he may not not play a whole lot for them if at all, which would be um, a bit of a blow. Um, they'll have to probably have a few options up their sleeves, no doubt they will. But yeah, I, I was, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens and how that unfolds over the coming weeks for the Saints.
3: Good result for Taranaki at home, uh, beating the Otago Nuggets who had found a real roll on 96-83. Uh, Javante Douglas shooting 19 of his 26 points in the fourth quarter. Great result for Trent Adam.
15: Yeah, Trent Adam, um, he coached, uh, coached up a storm uh, through three quarters, and then Javante Douglas said, Coach, I got this. Uh, I was uh, lucky enough to have the call with that with Casey Frank. The Otago Nuggets had been blowing teams out in their five wins after losing the first two by 18 points. Had come off a great win against the Southland Sharks to begin round five for their little road trip, and they just sort of ran out of gas. They looked sluggish, they looked like. Uh, they weren't getting the calls. Todd Withers looked distracted by the fact he wasn't getting any contact called on him. And uh, it was really a game that Javante Douglas has stamped his mark on in the fourth quarter, and that really was the difference. The Nuggets never really got going, and, and it was uh, all credit to Trent Adam and his imports. No Marcel Jones yet, the third import, who's a double-double machine, proven at the NBL level. He's been for the. He's been a proven player for the years over over many years. And uh, that's just one of the teams, Smithy, that it's like, well, they were on the outside of the 6 they They're now fighting for that spot. Sixth, fifth, fourth, they can make a run as well. Someone's going to have to miss out who are already in the six.
3: Hmm.
4: And we're
15: not even, what, we're like a third of the way through the season.
3: Uh, it's, it's the interest in it. I, I don't know if it's the, the way they've designed the competition this year, Malawari, or, uh, or the structure of it or the exposure it's getting. Uh, We're getting to know uh, players better, um, you know, important players better. It just seems to have started in a really positive fashion, the whole concept.
15: Yeah, it has. And it's been a bit of a masterstroke. And it helps, obviously, with the broadcaster as well, with Sky saying, hey, look, we'll we'll chuck a couple of more playoff games in there, which I, I think it makes sense. Because when you have a start that was delayed by COVID, and then you have the first couple of rounds where, imports aren't necessarily available, whether they come from the US or other legs or Australia, which is still having their disrupted COVID uh, by COVID season um, coming to a, a climax and a finish in April as well, then you get them arriving from round three onwards and making an impact. I think it's a good way to say, hey, you might've had a slow start when you look at Two, you look at the Saints especially, now you can get your roll on with your imports and see what you can do. And I think that's a fair reflection of the talent level and the attraction that they have to guys who want to come here and say, hey, look, this is what I did for the Cannery Rams. This is on my resume. This is what I can do. This can be a launching pad or a continuation and extension for some of the more veteran players that come here.
3: Uh, Interesting to see that the Giants weren't quite as effective over the weekend uh, by losing Trey Morning, particularly against the Bayhawks. Yeah, and that's
15: another problem. Like, you lose your main guy, you your main import, and life suddenly becomes very, very difficult uh, in the NBL. And you hope that uh, that Trey Mourning uh, is back and fully fit for the Nelson Giants in the not-too-distant future because that can also, um, uh, you know, really uh, scupper your great plans to make the playoffs again. And Nelson Giants are a proud club, great fan base, um, proven performers, and they've got a great rookie in Trey Morning, son of an Morning, who was a great Miami Heat player, and uh, is mm. in the front office there at the Miami Heat.
3: All right, let's look at uh, what's coming up this weekend, Mullah. I imagine you know, you're on the road somewhere commentating. The Tuatara hit the road themselves uh, against the Bay Hawks. Uh, what do you make of that matchup?
15: Well, that matchup really is—it um, could easily be a, a, a final preview. And this will be the one where I know as a commentator, if I'm fortunate enough to be calling the final, I would be checking this box score to see what happened around six between these two teams, especially if they're fully fit as well. Um, yeah, that's going to be – that's a real highlight for me for the, for the call. I get the call as well, which I'm really happy about. Rams Saints on Friday night, Smithy, as well. I don't know if mm. you've got that in your notes, but that's also going to be another tough one for the Saints after getting that first win for the, over the Jets on Sunday afternoon. Can they pick one up over the Rams? That's a tough game.
3: And the other one of, of interest to us particularly is uh, we've got a vested interest, of course, in the Otago Nuggets uh, against the Giants. Primetime, live on Prime and Sky Sport.
15: Oh, man. I love what the Nuggets starting five looks like. I mean, yeah, sure, they it didn't go to plan in the NACI. Um, but my goodness, that starting five... Man, SENZ must have cash, guys. Sends must have cash. Uh, your guy, your, your, yeah. he must have yeah. cash. Like, I love it. Like, yeah. if can afford both three imports and Ian Smith, and not to mention Israel Dag, and then you got Beaver and Curtis I did a have flush with cash, smithy. It's amazing.
3: Only because you turned us down, Mole, and that meant we could employ another <laughs> five people.
15: I'm surprised that he didn't outbid the England Cricket Board with Baz.
3: <laughs> well, uh, well, he had a go. I think he probably had a go actually <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> hey, yeah, uh, if I was to if I was to uh, to have uh, a little wager on likely MVP NBA finals, am I going Steph Curry or Jason Tatum?
15: Wow, that is a great question. For mine, they are the two obviously leading candidates. I haven't checked the odds, I imagine. They're, they're probably 1-1A in the options. Um, I, I'm going to lean, and the bookies have the Golden State Warriors as pre-season, uh, pre-NBA Finals favorites. And I think, because Steph Curry, he's never won a Finals MVP award, which is crazy when you think about it, but he's never won one. Mm. Andre Iguodala won it in 2015, and then it was Kevin Durant for the ones he won there. But Steph Curry is due. Uh, Clay Thompson's a little bit off. And apart from, I don't see Draymond Green winning it. I don't see Andrew Wiggins winning it. It's Steph Curry's to lose,
8: uh,
15: in my mind. But Jason Tatum, um, I found like Jason Tatum, he goes missing a little bit. I think Steph Curry's built to these moments. He's proven it in the NBA Finals before. It doesn't matter that he hasn't won an NBA Finals MVP. Like the great joke is that Andre Godala won the NBA Finals MVP in 2015. Because he held um, LeBron James to 31 points a game, <laughs> but when you look at it, yeah. I would
3: go Steph Curry. Okay, Steph Curry says uh, Mull, The uh, the very expensive Andrew Mulligan uh, has been joining yeah. us this morning uh, on SENZ, He and we are ever so grateful for it. Mole, crowd goes wild. You, you involved tonight, or you, um, what's what's on? Anything lined up tonight? What's what's McHoney, McHoney up to tonight?
15: I've got no idea what the mad genius, the mad scientist is doing in his laboratory, but um, no doubt, no doubt, when I, uh, when I turn up to work, we're on Thursday nights now and Monday nights, so on Thursday night, what Makoni has will no doubt be absolute gold.
3: I'm sure it will be. Mo, thank you very much for your time this morning, as always, uh, with your, uh, your knowledge of the basketball helps us out greatly. Thanks, mate. Have a great week.
15: You too, Smithy, Thank you.
3: Cheers. Uh, Andrew Mulligan there with us, folks. Uh, it is 11.22 here on SENZ. We'll be back with some of your texts very shortly.
2: Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
3: Texts uh, have come in uh, a plenty this morning. We're just talking about the Sevens going to, uh, of course, back to Hamilton for the fourth time. And then, of course, it goes back onto the market, of course, uh, to try and find a window uh, with uh, the uh, International Rugby Board and the, and the uh, whatever make decision-makers in that process. So it, Hamilton will want this one to be a good one. The next one, which is January twenty one, twenty two, uh, and Mike points out that Raglan is uh, just down the road as well. It is, or up the road, as he says. Uh, it is, and uh, on the subject of uh, Hamilton, of course, uh, that's where Stephen Alker came from. We've been talking about him this morning. Um, and Brett says, can Stephen Elker get an invite to play on the PGA Tour? Well, Brett, last time we spoke to Stephen Alka, I did ask him that very question. Is there a possibility, you know, that uh, he's so hot in terms of uh, what he's doing? Does he, uh, does he become uh, really, uh, I guess, a, a bit of a carrot for other tours? And, and uh, I mentioned the, the LIV as well, uh, Greg Norman's one. Uh, he's one of the hottest players in golf. There's no doubt about that because he's up the le- top of the leaderboard the whole time. Um, and I I think he said from memory, no, there's, there's no way he can get back onto the PGA Tour proper. He doesn't get any um, sort of privileges from one, what he's achieving on the Champions Tour. So at this stage, Brett, doesn't look like uh, we're able to see him back there. Uh, Chris has come in. Great interview. My son is in the top 10 amateurs in New Zealand, and there is no doubt golf is very strong at the moment. Lots of young men and women playing brilliantly. Yes, Chris. Yes, we're hearing that. Um, and as I I talked about earlier, uh, with with golf it's very hard in a lot of areas to get a tee time. Pay exorbitant fees uh, at clubs, uh, well they are exorbitant when you talk about the number of times you can actually use your own golf course uh, to get around to golf. It's pretty damn tough. We find it hard uh, on occasion down here in Hawke's Bay, I would imagine in Auckland and some of those other areas where the population is greater and the the amount of uh, players uh, or courses available to players are less Uh, I would be thinking it's nigh on impossible at times to get justification for uh, the value of your subscription. Uh, A lot of focus uh, on golf at the moment. So uh, here we've also been having a a Mount Rushmore, which we will uh, do just before uh, 11.40 this morning uh, after Stump Smithy, which is coming up shortly, of course. Uh, We're still getting texts in for that one. Ben has come in and said Brendan McCullum, Stephen Fleming, Michael Vaughan and Sir Andrew Strauss. Sir Andrew Strauss, and Sir Alistair Cook, two very young knights. They knight them early uh, over in England for their services to cricket. I uh, wouldn't mind that as my top four either, to be honest. So there you go. Um, and Cray's come in with something slightly different on the cricketing theme. He said, look, hi, hi Smithy. I know you, you haven't asked for it, but here's the 11 I think Stead will pick for the first test. Not necessarily mine. Uh, Latham, Young, Williamson, Conway, Mitchell, Blundell, De DeGrandon, uh, Southey, Henry, Wagner, and uh, Patel. Yes, Patel, uh, Craig from uh, Bay of Plenty. Uh, look, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, bar one there. And I think that uh, they'll play Jamison. I think they will try Jamison on Lords. Lords has got um, quite a lot of support and help for because of the slope with guys that get the ball to bounce in rear. And if uh, Jamison can do that, um, I think he's uh, got a terrific opportunity to do just that. So, yeah, yeah. Um, Plenty of texts that have come in this morning. We thank you for those. It is, though, time uh, to stump smithy. It's 0800 150 811. 0800 150 811. And we got cleaned out yesterday, so it's a new batch of sleep drops up for jabs, up uh, for, uh, for grabs, up for jabs, sleep drops. And, and of course, you've also got uh, the TAB 50-buck uh, bonus voucher available to you as well. Uh, we'll take a short break with auraha When we return, it's totally up to you and producer Logan Swinkles.
13: Ian Smith's had a good match here.
7: Stumped by Smithy.
13: Ian Smith really is
10: top
5: class at his job.
12: Yes, it is time for Stumped by Smithy here on SNZ Mornings. And, Smithy, before we get to uh, the first person at the crease, I kind of wonder how much uh, how much coin the Bricky Lads have been sitting aside to Adahar to be plugging that interview so much. I think we should all be listening to that tomorrow morning.
3: Yeah, and I... I well, we will be. There's no doubt about it. I mean, how... How often on the eve of a cricket test between England and New Zealand do you get to talk to the English coach, who's a New Zealander, and one we know so well? So it's quite a unique opportunity, to be fair, and you know what Baz will be like. If they ask him the serious cricket cricket questions, he'll answer most of them. Uh, He might not give too much insight as to what he's been saying, but I think we know behind the scenes uh, what Baz will be like. So, yeah, it'll be cool to catch up with him. Very, very cool.
12: Yeah, looking forward to that. Huge get, obviously. I mean, big part of the station, of course. Uh, English cricket media, we'll see how they go with uh, our mate Bears. But up for grabs today is a $50 TAB bonus bet plus some sleep drops, daytime revive. They are New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support supplements. Joining us first at the crease today, Smithy, we have Wade from Christchurch. Come in, mate.
8: Morning, team. How are we?
12: Yeah, good team's good, Wade. Very, very good.
3: Hope you're feeling a good form, mate. What are the subjects this morning uh, for us to compete
12: over? Logan? You are competing over either baseball, soccer, football or the Rugby Sevens. So take your pick out of those three, Wade.
9: Uh, Let's go Rugby Sevens.
12: Top cool. Love it. Yes, very excited. Very, very excited that Hamilton is going to be back in the World Rugby Sevens Series circuit there. So the questions are all dedicated to Hamilton and that series. They last played host in 2020. The Fern Sevens won their final 24-7. Who was it against?
13: Um. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field.
12: Not France. Smithy, over to you. United
13: States of America. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field.
12: Go a little further north, the great white north, it was Canada. So you're still alive there, Wade. Canada, fair enough. Meanwhile, uh, the All Black Sevens won their final 27-5 over the French. Who scored a hat-trick for New Zealand in that game, Wade?
13: Joe Weber one of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field
12: well at least we know he didn't Google that Smithy over to you <laughs> Tim Mickelson
13: one of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field
12: Tim Mickelson is always a very good guess when it comes to the All Black Sevens Scott Curry scored a hat-trick there in that final oh, so both, okay. both the Black Fern Sevens and All black Sevens won uh, so they'll be defending those titles in Hamilton. In last question for you, Wade, still all on the line. Everything, the $50 TAB bonus bet and the Sleep Drops Daytime Revive. In that 2020 Hamilton series, who were the two leading try scorers for the Black Fern Sevens? Uh,
13: Michaela Blythe and Portia Woodman. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field.
12: Close. Very, very close, Smithy. Well, I reckon he got
3: one of them right. It's a question of which one he got right. Um, Michaela Blyde, she's prolific. She is absolutely prolific. So I'm gonna throw the the girl from Taranaki in there, Michaela Blyde, and I'm also gonna throw in there, Taylor Nathan Wong.
13: One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field.
12: Yeah, Michaela Blyde was right. That was one of them. The other one uh, we heard her name earlier in the show, Stacey Flula. She was the other. Oh no! Both scored nine tries across that tournament. So, Wade, you hung in there, mate. You hung in there.
9: Got a skin on my
12: You're well done, Wade. You, you got your fifty buck voucher, mate.
3: Congratulations on that. Crusaders this weekend against the Reds, mate. What are you thinking?
9: Yeah, I think they've got a good show, mate. Um, yeah, being at home and helps them and, and resting a few players last week. will always make it. But you never count out Brad Thorne and yeah. boys, do you?
3: No, you never um, count out anything to do with Brad Thorne. i tell you what, I'd crawl over broken glass with him. I'd be too scared not to. Uh, it's 11.38 here on SENZ. Wade from Christchurch, stay on the line and Brian will get your details, Wade, so we can get that uh, TAB 50-buck uh, voucher to you as soon as we possibly can. It is 11.38 here on SENZ, which means it's nearly time for our Mount Rushmore being Tuesday morning.
1: New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice
2: of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
3: That is Jimi Hendrix, this is Mount Rushmore and today our subject is uh, English and New Zealand cricket test captains the most impressive in your mind, most successful maybe, uh, your favourite maybe Uh, let's have a go, Uh, it's uh, Logan Swinkle's producer and myself having a crack at this Uh, my first one is uh, just going back in time a wee bit some of you will remember him because uh, he was brought in and not unlike the situation now to to basically fix the job to get hold of the players, the current players i have got, and get them going in the right direction. He had some interesting characters to captain. Uh, he wasn't the greatest opening batsman of all time for England. In fact, his numbers aren't that flash at all. But his captaincy record is very good. 31 tests in charge, 18 wins, 4 losses, 9 draws. This bloke uh, was a fixer. His name,
2: Mike Brearley. Strike bowler Richard Hadley is given the opportunity to finish off the England innings. He bowls to England captain Mike Brearley.
13: No ball, and mixed up with that. It was a very good shot from really No uh, hesitation there. He was into the hook shot before Empire
3: Spencer's call came along. Oh! You didn't tell me you're chucking a bit of Richie Beno in there as well. Oh my God, my day's made. Oh, fantastic, Mike Briley. What about what
12: about your number four? You can thank Brian for that. He was uh, beavering away. Brian. Getting- he was getting those clips for you. That was outstanding. I love hearing that. Uh, the old school commentary, man, that's just so cool. Mm. Uh, so I think I believe both of us. We've gone for a split here. Uh, England and New Zealand, very evenly represented here in our Mount Rushmore of. England, New Zealand Test cricket captains. Uh, my first one, I believe might be a little bit further away up in your rankings. Uh, I've gone with Andrew Strauss, uh, captain there, to, to 2006 to 2012, 50 matches under the helm. In that space, he had 24 wins, 11 losses, and 15 draws. So that was a winning percentage of exactly 48%. Uh, and I mean, there's a good case that he could be one of the greatest uh, English cricket captains of all time. i, I no doubt you have uh, your opinions on that, Smithy. His tenure probably really took over in 2009. Uh, and, you know, he kind of won it all. He, he won the Ashes both down under and at home, which is just huge, huge. This is Andrew Strauss. <laughs>
2: Drag that uh, nicely wide of the man at long on. And that takes Andrew Strauss past the 150 mark for the first time in Test cricket.
1: Oh. Yes.
8: In the air. it could be out here.
3: Yes, that's him getting well, out. Well, it was. That... <laughs> yeah, it was him two... getting out. OK, so two commentators there. David Gower, who also uh, was in consideration for this, and Paul Allett. Of course, uh, Walt Allett from uh, Lancashire and England fame as well. Actually, yeah, I, I might as well preempt. Uh, he is. Uh, Andrew Strauss is my number two, so we'll jump forward to say that. I, I, and I totally concur with uh, all, everything you said about that. And because of what he has done and, and uh, just a little bit of work in uh, other areas as well, Andrew Strauss, of course, is now Sir Andrew Strauss. Uh, my uh, next one is um, one of my favourite captains of all time. I played under him, but I, um, so I've got a little bit of uh, a favouritism towards him. But that group, because I, I believe he was the best captain I played under. But also, he was uh, at the time quite innovative. Uh, he was in charge of uh, New Zealand side, which started to make some inroads overseas, um, in and particularly in Australia. Uh, he was a very prolific county cricket player for Surrey terrific batsman for New Zealand as well uh, and one of the great thinkers, modern day thinkers of the game and not just me saying that, a lot of pundits at the time were thinking, this guy's thinking perhaps ahead of his time, Geoffrey Philip Howarth, otherwise known as Bones
13: And playing this free, could be four, a short edge down there and certainly Marks can't get around to cut it off and so Howarth It's four for the shot. He goes to 26, and New Zealand now up to 54 for one.
3: Yep, Geoffrey House, uh, bloody good guy and fantastic captain in my mind.
12: Yeah, and there's so many when you look in the history of New Zealand uh, and England test cricket. There's so many to choose from, so many that, we're, that are missing out here. It's always the case with Mount Rushmore. I'm going to just bring in here uh, my second English pick here before I get to my, my great New Zealanders. Michael Vaughan, 2003 to 2008, 51 matches under the helm there for a 50-point 98% percent, uh, winning percentage. He came in off the back of uh, Nasser Hussein's tenure there as captain. Uh, and, and he's been considered again as one of the greats. He helped bring the Ashes back into England hands for the first time in 19 years back in 2005. So you can just imagine how crucial that was for England. They're kind of mm. in that space mm. now. They, they want to be winning. Uh, so Michael Vaughan helped do that. And he's just a great, great cricketer
10: over the top mid wickets. It's got the legs to reach the boundary, and Michael Vaughan has his 18th Test
11: Match Century. There it comes.
12: And he's hit it to the man in the deep, who takes an excellent catch.
11: Marshall, a really good fielder, a really good catch, and the end of a really good innings from Michael Vaughan. The Tory has five wickets at Lord's. It's been
0: a day for the two captains, Vittori and Vaughan.
3: Yeah, Hamish Marshall catching uh, Michael Vaughan there off the bowling of Daniel Vittori and described by Nasser Hussain. So uh, another England captain who, of course, uh, came into the mix as well, Nasser Hussain, along with uh, Michael Atherton. Uh, There's so many uh, modern-day candidates. Um, My my number one, uh, I, I came home and I decided, well, the winningest captain that New Zealand has ever had. 80 Test matches in charge, 28 victories, 27 losses, 25 draws, pretty good damn ratio in the environment we uh, introduce our Test teams into. Uh, great thinker as well, uh, terrific uh, left-hand uh, opening batsman, top-order player. Uh, remember the day that he came into Test cricket and looked as very much at home there, very relaxed, cool, calm, all the characteristics of a good leader. Stephen Fleming, without doubt, for me, New Zealand's best Test cricket captain.
10: Well, that's not a bad way to do it. That's smashed away. All the way. It's got in style. Six runs. 102 for Stephen Fleming. Seventh test 100. It's well overdue. But he is good to watch when he gets going. Just 161 balls, 12 fours, and two sixes.
3: Yeah. Yeah, it's just the fact that Stephen Fleming wasn't able to convert as many. Um, 50s into 100s, otherwise he'd have gone down as one of the greats.
12: Uh, Logan, last say for you. Uh, Fleming was my number two. Uh, growing up watching cricket as a Kiwi kid, I idolised Fleming. I was a left-handed batsman and just seen it, someone like him, his tactician like his, his Nels there sitting in the fields he was just always incredible I just absolutely admired the way he approached the game but my number one and being a Toronga lad Smithy I don't know if I could ever set foot on the campus of Toronga Boys College again if I did not put this man in my number one I know it's a lot more recent he is the current captain uh, taking over in 2016 38 matches under his helm so far Great winning percentage, 57.89. And he helped bring us that World Test Championship. Of course, Kane Williamson.
10: No third, man. Again, he gets it down into that region. Two, coming back for the third. Yes, that brings up the three figures for Kane Williamson.
1: Well played, Kane Williamson. First time at Lord's, 100 on his first task match here and getting a great applause. It's been a fantastic innings. And then he faced 148 deliveries. But it's the way he's done it. has been outstanding. Something he'll remember. It's his 10th 100 and a beauty too.
3: Yeah, no doubt about it. Absolutely no doubt about it. Shane Warren with his comments there. Man, how valid are those all of a sudden? And Mikey Holding too, one of the great voices of cricket there describing Kane Williamson, who is a worthy candidate. Steady the ship, Kane. Steady the ship. You might have to in a couple of days' time. It is 11.53 here on SENZ. Brian Rarirati, outstanding finding all that wonderful background uh, footage there. Just fantastic. It is uh, time for Staffy just before the break.